What's new listeners? I'm Arthur Howell, the host of Two Cents Critic. If you're in the mood for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, we're covering Night at the Museum, and I'm going to have my mom returning for the third week in a row as a guest. Hi Arthur, thanks for having me on again. Yes. yeah, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sorry for uh, posting this episode a, few, a couple days late because we had a bit of a scheduling snafu. My fault. <laughs> Holidays, you know, got in the way. I'm so sorry. Yes. Yeah. We're and supposed to post this yesterday. Uh, no, not uh, even. Wednesday. Wednesday. So we're a couple days it was, late. It was because to celebrate the 15th anniversary of Night at the Museum, which is amazing. 15, 15th anniversary. It came out because it came out, I think, on yeah December 22nd, 2006. Wow, it seems like it doesn't really seem that long ago for some reason. I know it's it's, it's funny like a, a movie that, a movie like Night at the Museum, it just feels like something that's always been a part of my life. Yeah. Even though I, you know I was you know I I was a kid you know back when it came out so, but yeah it, you know I've always been quite familiar it's with the movie. Definitely a classic. Yes. One of my favorites. Yes. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody. So yes, I, I was that. just about to say that. Yes, oh, Merry yeah. Christmas, everyone. Yeah, it's coming Christmas up on Saturday. Holidays. Yeah. And well, Merry and, Christmas and, and, Eve. Well, Merry Christmas Eve, yeah, we're recording this Friday morning, and I don't, and the winter solstice just a few days ago as well. Ugh. Yep, the days are going to start getting longer now, so yes. we and, can look forward to spring. And next week will be the final episode of 2021 for Two Critic, and then it'll be the new year. Happy new year, right? This, uh, the, we're going to be 2022. I know. That's crazy. Ugh. Ugh, time passes by so fast and yet so slowly. Oh, yeah. It's a paradox. It is a paradox. Alright, let's get into United Museum. The 2006 movie about a newly hired night guard at the Museum of Natural History who discovers that a magical Egyptian tablet brings all of the exhibits to life every night. Now, this, it, it's funny we're covering this because this is actually the second movie in a row that we've covered that's based on a picture book. Because last week was the Polar Express, and now it's based on Chris Van Altsburg's picture book. And the United Museum was actually loosely adapted from a 1993 Shoulders picture book, written and illustrated by Croatian illustrator Milan Chank. And in the book, the name of the Night Guard protagonist was Hector, not Larry. And uh, this movie was directed by uh, Sean Levy, who went on to helm the next two museum movies. And we've actually seen a, quite a few of his movies, because he also directed Sheeper by the Dozen, The Pink Panther, Real Steel, and Date Night. And his latest project was Free Guy, which is, is on my watch list. Hopefully that drops on uh, Disney Plus soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny because Stephen Sommers, the director of the first two Mummy movies, was originally attached to Night at the Museum as the director, but he parted ways due to creative differences. Oh, wow. Yes. And uh, screen, the screen story and screenplay was written by Robert Van Garant and Thomas Lennon, both of whom also co-wrote The Pacifier. Do you, you ever watch that movie, The Pacifier? Pacifier? Oh, with uh, Vin Diesel? Yes, the, person- the human personification of a stone slab that is Vin Diesel, when he goes from spy to nanny for the kids, remember? Wow, uh, I don't really remember the whole plot points, but I do remember that. The, the, uh, the general movie, yes. Yeah. Yes, he, take, he takes care of the kids. Uh-huh. More of that. I don't, uh, uh, wait, how do you say? I don't have friends, I got family. Yeah. <laughs> More of that energy. Uh-huh. I am Groot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely. And, 
Chris Columbus is actually one of the three producers for Night of the Museum. Oh, really? Yes. And, and just to say, just a little more trivia, Thomas Lennon, one of the screenwriters, he's actually had a few on-screen roles as well. He's had supporting roles in the pa- in, in, uh, supporting roles in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, A Guy Sing, and 17 Again. Which is funny, because when I was looking up the credits, I was like, oh, this guy looks familiar. And then I was like, oh, it's because he's acted before. I've seen, I've, I've seen, him, I've seen him in the movies. Mm-hmm. And the budget was $110 million. And it brought in a box office gross of $574.5 million. And was number one in the opening weekend after it released on December 22nd, 2006. Mm-hmm. Alright, now let's get into our general thoughts on the movie. Mom, I'm going to start with you. What are your thoughts on Night Museum? Well, this is one of my favorite movies. I mean, I, I, you know, kind of the ones I'm, like, just playing maybe in the background or just watching. Um, you know, really love Ben Stiller in this. And, you know, the first installment, you know, obviously, uh, we won't want to talk about the second two, but, you know, I really enjoyed those as well. But it just, uh, I just really liked it. I love Dick Van Dyke in the movie, and I'm glad that he mm-hmm. was in all three movies. And, you well, know... No, no. Uh, Dick Van Dyke was not in the second movie. Oh, he wasn't? But it, it's, no, it's, he, it's, he was mentioned, though. Well, no, he, uh, he wasn't seen, but funnily enough, in the second movie, Battle of the Smithsonian, there was, there was actually a deleted scene where he and the other two gods, were, they were at the museum at the end of the movie as cameos, but that scene was cut out of the movie. Oh, I thought that they were in it, they were at the retirement home or something. Oh, that's, that's the third movie, when, oh. when, when Larry goes to London, when Larry Daly goes to London, remember? Oh. The British, it's a British museum, yes. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah, um, but yeah, I, 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 I really enjoy this movie. I just, and like Owen Wilson, I think mm-hmm. it was like when he was I know, it's, huge, it's actually a pretty huge ensemble. And I know, Owen Wilson, it's, it's nice to see him getting, kind of getting back in the spotlight now after Loki. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really, I really like this movie. Yes. How about you, Arthur? Uh, you know what, it's interesting. I'm, you know, I'm going to say generally, I actually do like this movie a lot. I think that it does... Like, when I, when I watch this, it's funny that, it's funny that we we're reviewing this, uh, the week of Christmas, because I know, like, this isn't strictly, a, like, a holiday movie, but it does a bit have that, like, whimsical magic that I associate with holiday movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of, kind of like that, that sparkliness, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And... I think that, you know, I, I, I enjoy the cast, I do enjoy just, uh, I, I think, I, I, I find myself laughing a lot at, at the movie, at the jokes, even though it, like, I, I, a lot of the jokes are, jokes are funny, but then there are other gags where I just find myself groaning and annoyance at them, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll, we'll get into the, the parts that do annoy me as we cover the movie. Okay. But yeah, and I I like I like Ben Stiller a lot in this. I think and his mom's in it too. I know his mom Mira. has cameo as yes and Mira. And Mira. Yes, and yeah, Ben Stiller. It's funny because I think he you know I, I think he's always excelled at playing a neurotic everyman, and so I I, I like to, I like what he brings to the movie here, and but it's funny I feel like the the. the he, uh, he 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 tends to be pretty subtle, in in his in his role. I feel like he he's able to give some good range. Only only a couple of of his performances does he get broader. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Zoolander is probably one of his more broader performances. And even even uh, Madagascar, yeah. when he plays Alex the Lion, mm-hmm. that's one of one of the more bigger energy performances. 
mm-hmm. more comfortable to someone like you know Zach Black or Will Ferrell. Yeah. But I think you know Ben Stiller. You know he he has he has you know a lot of range, and so I think he you know I, I like how he brings good performances. And as I said before, I love I love the ensemble. And although I I do, as I watch the movie, I I have criticisms towards the, the plot. I do feel like the plot. Like if, if you're studying the stru- if you're studying the the plot structure, it does lag at points, and it does have an and then sort of structure where the events are just happening like and then and then, mm-hmm. rather than the events being interconnected. Right. Because typically, typically when you're when you're writing a, a script, you want the events to be to be happening with the words because and therefore because that means they're linked together. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's just like and then and then and then. It just it, it feels like it's lagging the plot so, and and that's that's because that's something you have for the movie, and and then for the rules for the tablet now you know, it's sort of like the same thing with uh, like Polar Express. I was really getting into the Polar Express plot holes and stuff. Yeah. And then I just find myself really focusing on some of the, of the rules for the tablet, and I'm just like, wait, so how would this work? How would that work? Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that in the breakdown. But you have some criticisms about you know just rules and the, you know, leaps of logic. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, overall, overall, I would say this is definitely a, a pretty enjoyable movie to watch. And like you said, it's not, it's just, it is nice to have on the, in the background. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so now we, we can go on to our wind-up scores. Mom, what's your wind-up score? Hmm, I'd have to say... How much does I enjoy it, right? Just uh, like, just, you know, your, your personal environment. Like 90, movie. 91. Okay, 91. I, re- I really do enjoy it. I don't, I'm not, you know, the details of this don't really bother me. I know there's obviously unrealistic and, you know, maybe some plot holes, but it doesn't really concern me. I just, I overall enjoy the movie and mm-hmm. that's, you know, pretty much, I, it's not nothing like that I'm going to, uh, that's going to deter me from watching it or give, you know, just uh, that, that bothers me so much that I won't watch it or just enjoy it for, for the fun sake of it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give this a wind-up score of 75 out of 100. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was at, going into this, I was actually considering maybe giving it a bit of a lower score. I was thinking maybe a 70 out of 100. Mm-hmm. But I was like talking about it. Like, you know, overall, again, overall, I do enjoy this movie. But, you know, it's, a, it, it's, not, it's not perfect. It does have flaws and just personally viewing drums through my you know critical lens that I've started to gain as I've you know done this work of just you know covering books and movies and TV shows mm-hmm. is I'm just not as forgiving towards flaws as I would be maybe like five years ago or maybe even three years ago and so yeah but, but you know 75 out of 100 still, still quite a, a good score mm-hmm. for a movie like this and so yeah, so those are wind up scores. He said ninety one. I gave seventy five. Yes. And and while while we're on the subject, do you want to give you a quick thoughts on sequels, on Battle of the Smithsonian, um, and the secret of the tomb? If I recall the movie correctly. Right. Uh, gosh. Uh, the second one. That's with Amy Adams uh, yeah. as. And Kamen Ra, I remember Kamen Ra. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was funny. Which I, if I remember correctly, I actually enjoy, I actually remember enjoying Battle of the Smithsonian quite a bit, actually. I remember mm-hmm. that being pretty fun. I think Amy Adams is great 
as Amelia Earhart. I think some of their interactions were kind of weird, but in that movie, I think with Ben Stiller and Amelia Earhart. Oh, wait, and, oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, really? But interesting, overall, interesting. or I should, uh, you know, Larry and uh, Amelia. But um, overall, I, I I liked it as well. I like um, Hank Azaria mm-hmm. was funny in the movie. Yes. And yes, um, definitely. they had that funny like three hundred. Like yes, yeah. I know you've always been telling me about that. Mocking that when they were fighting Owen and, and then the uh, that Roman guy. Octa- Octavius, played by Octavius. Steve Coogan. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was funny. And uh, yeah, and then the third one, you know, they replaced uh, Nikki. Oh yeah, the they had the new kid. I, uh, is, is it Scarlett Gisando? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he, I mean, he's he's great. He's a great actor. I, I actually, I actually. I don't, I think he did a good job, you yeah, know. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's a good actor. As replacements and. I said that there wasn't an actor, and then uh, and then um, it was right around the time too when Robin Williams Williams died. It was like yes. released. IP. He did finish it, right? He finished it. It was, it was like right before he passed away, basically. Yeah, and then so that was kind of sad, and then, but overall, you know, I th- I remember like I I oh that that was a little bit weird because I remember like with. Larry's job, like they had him. Yeah, that has some. Yeah, that that has some strange plot points and some weird character arcs. Like, oh, like like Larry wants. Oh, he became a teacher at the end. Teacher. Come out with that, like that came out of like nowhere. And then he was kind of getting stressed out about 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 Nick, his son, and he was like, "Why aren't you on a like? Why aren't you focusing on something? Uh Because I didn't go to school. No, I didn't finish college or something. I I I didn't go to college or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like Larry was stressing out about that, and it's like, why are you stressing out about this? You don't really you don't really feel like the kind of character who would worry about school. Mm -hmm. Like especially if you're like at you were at a previous point where you were a struggling inventor, mm-hmm. and you were all, and you were off try, trying out all of the all of these you know these plans to create inventions, and it just it feel you, you feel like you would be a little more liberal, mm-hmm. not as uptight about school. Right. And then yeah, but then he goes back and he's a teacher, and you pointed this out, and it didn't bug me at first, but then it, but now it bugs me. He looks all raggedy at the end. Remember. What was raggedy? Uh, well, not raggedy. Uh, Larry Daly, when, when it's like, oh, like the time jump to the future, and then Rebel Wilson is at the museum, and then Larry is outside, and he looks, you know, a, a little bit scruffy, and it's like he's been through some hard times. Remember? Mm-hmm. When they were in, when they were in England. No, no, this is right at the end of the movie. Oh right. Oh yeah, it was weird. And then they said that he he got his teacher certificate, which I think is completely like you know he had sold his company to save the museum. Yeah. And then they he got a teaching certificate, which was totally out of like nowhere. It's like. Yeah, it just feels implausible for his character. It was yeah, his character was not like a, whatever regular like a teaching nine to five whatever. It, it was just weird how they even came up with that. They could have done so many other things. Any yeah. other profession probably would have fit better. Yeah. Kind of odd. I don't know. Even like I don't know, working for like a tech firm or some sort of invention, you know, something yeah, something for inventing. Yeah, like maybe he doesn't doing. have to be the head of a company, but at least you know, yeah, some role, you know, something like a consulting role or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep, yep. But oh, oh well. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you on the on the sequels. Uh-huh. Yeah. And although I, I personally found more charisma between Amy Adams and Ben Stiller, apparently, than you. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, so those are thoughts on the sequels. And oh, I also want to say that for the first movie, 
the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is 43%, while the audience score is 67%. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, I, I find those to be surprisingly low. Interesting, yes. What, you think they're interesting? Well, 43, don't you feel like that's, you know, I, it's a little too low? Too low, oh. Well, score. I mean, maybe 40, they found 43. some of the plot holes like what you did to be unbearable. Maybe. maybe. Who knows? Well, I, 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 just, I, I don't think I would say unbearable. That's not the way I would I know, I was being possible. sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh. You know, I just people, I mean, whatever. You know, <laughs> critics are critics. All right. Anyway, so those are our thoughts on the movie. Let's get to the spoilery section. Yes, let's get into that. So obviously, if you don't want to hear spoilers, Turn even though we did off. kind of spoil it, we, we did pretty much spoil the sequels. So, but, I'm but, pretty sure most people have seen the movie, but I guess not. I mean, if you're like, you know, maybe like 20 years from now, no one has seen it. That's true. All right. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Alright. So, let's get into the breakdown now. Mm-hmm. And so the movie starts with the opening credits. I think these days it's always notable for me to watch the movie's opening credits. Again, it's like what I said before. You don't see it, you don't really see that nowadays. And it's in the credits it takes us around the Museum of Natural History and we're, and we're shown multiple exhibits like you know like uh Theodore Ro- Roosevelt and Hans the Easter Island head or Moai as it is as it is officially known. Mm-hmm. So they never they ne- they never called it a Moai in the movie. And I, re- I so I also really do love Alan Silvestri's kind of like sweeping and ethereal score. What do you think of the score? Oh yeah, I really love the the soundtrack, the music to this. Yeah, I, it, it's really dramatic. It, it adds to the sense of magic. Yeah, yeah. it's this really good one. I like it. Yes, and yeah, Alan Silvestri, another another you know, top notch score in in his in, in his work because he's oh, also yeah. the composer for the Avengers team. Of course, yeah. And any any also composed for the for the Mummy sequel, the Mummy Returns. Oh wow! Which I actually remember, I, I I remember liking the theme a bit, quite a bit for the mm-hmm. for the Mummy sequel. And Did so he just do the second one? Just the second one. The first movie was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, who also composed for Milan. Right. And it's funny because I actually like the, the themes of both movies, even though they're done by different composers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, so I enjoyed the theme. I enjoyed the, 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 the opening here. It just let us settle into the movie. And then we move on to the introduction of Larry Daly, and he finds that his car has been booted. Uh, have, you, have you ever experienced that? What? A car being booted. Um, me personally, no, but I've seen cars that were booted. Yes, and he, and he just spent some time trying to kick, kick the boots. Yep. Bent, yeah, bent that's his, not going to irritation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... I don't think, I don't know what gets us. I mean, you can't, you can't remove those. I mean, you know, they can, whatever. Oh, is. but obviously you can't just, obviously, like, you can't use like your own bare hands or, or your yeah, feet no, to kick it off. It's, you know. it's no. Yeah. And and it was actually the deleted scene in this introduction where it was, the movie was originally going to introduce us by, to Larry by having him. I think he was going like, to call the cable company, and because he was like, because the cable company wanted him to pay his bills, and he was late because he's like he's financially struggling right now, and that's mm-hmm. his whole thing. And like and he ended up convincing the person over the phone to give him his cable for a few more days because he was like, oh, I want to wa- I want to watch. I think he was like, I want to watch sports. With my son, and I remember I, I I think I remember listening to commentary, and Sean Levy was like, he he ended up having the scene cut out 
because the intention of it was to introduce us to Larry as being kind of like a lovable loser. Mm-hmm. But it would. But it felt like this scene had to be cut out because it was just, it, it was it was too redundant because we already have enough scenes in the opening act of the movie to let us know, you know, that, you know, Larry is a lovable loser and that, you know, he's a kind of like a deadbeat dad. He's trying to connect with his kids, but he's struggling because he's having all of these schemes. So I'm, I'm okay with that, you know, I'm okay with the deleted scenes being cut out. Being cut out. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he also learned to the son, Nick, he didn't, didn't tell him about about Parent Career Day with other school. Which does have a that ends up getting wrapped up at the end, remember? Right. Because Larry comes to a school for career day. Mm-hmm. And tell him tell him all the kids about being a night guide. And then we and then we uh and then we have a scene between between uh, Larry and his ex wife Erica and we have a little run in with Paul as on. Which is so weird to see him. I keep forgetting, yeah. I mean, not keep forgetting, but I forget that he's in the movie because, like, after the Avengers and stuff, and then, and then you watch this movie, you're like, oh my gosh, Paul Rudd's in it. I know, but only two scenes too. And not, I, yeah. And, and I'm and I'm just like, I don't know, how much was the paycheck? Did it, did it, was this a particularly large amount of money? Was a surprisingly small cameo? Did he do this for as a favor for someone? Because you know he had a name for himself at the time. I mean, I feel like obviously he wasn't as big then as he is now. I mean, obviously, you know, People Magazine, Sexiest Man of the Year. But, you know, he I had... Know, I, I, don't, I think he was popular, but he wasn't he that popular. He had some clout. He had some clout in 2006. I don't know. Maybe. Like, I feel like enough clout at least to have, you know, you know, to work with Shad Apatow. Yeah, well, maybe he just did have it for... And how to comedies. I feel like I, I, even, like, Owen Wilson level of fame. Yeah, well, maybe it was just... Um, like a favor or, or something. I don't know. Or even on the same, I don't know. I don't know if at the time maybe Paul Rudd was at the same level as Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. Because even watching this movie, I actually did think to myself like, oh, Paul Rudd could have actually played Larry Daly. Larry Daly. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. The two roles could have been switched. They have the same personality. Yeah. Well, not be. not the exact same personality. I feel like Paul Rudd, his comedy, is just a little bigger and. Like, the way he gives off his charm, I'm finding a hard time describing it, but I feel like the way he gives off his charm is different than Ben, than ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ben Stiller is more... He always adds a, a tinge of, you know, ne- neuroses to his roles. I, I always feel like when I'm watching a Ben Stiller role, there's always something a bit tightly wound about his characters. Yeah, a bit anxious. Mm-hmm. Whereas, oh, like, Paul Rudd, he's much, he's much more casual. Mm-hmm. He's more at ease. just like, hey, you know, what's going on? Yeah, and that's true. yeah, so I feel like that's the difference between them. But so I do, I do feel like Paul Rudd could have played Derry Daly, and I think he would have done a good job at it too. Mm-hmm. Totally. And and I do, I do like that line when he's like, "Shitty, shitty, shitty." Willie's a penguin. Mm-hmm. And I remember he has like the the, the, the belt, and and Larry calls Don the bad man of stock focus. and then and then Erica corrects him and says that Don is actually a bond trader. Yeah. <laughs> And then Larry mentions having trouble with a virtual reality driving range, and there was actually another deleted scene in which he, in, in which he tried and failed to open up a restaurant. And I think that again, that was to show, okay, like you know, he, he he's trying out all of these different you know plans, trying to see which one works, but it's not working out for him. And that scene was cut out again for the because of the redundancy, where it's like, okay, you don't need all of these scenes, just you no. Know, Get the, first, get the first act moving along. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 uh, Larry Larry's get close to getting evicted, and you know Erica is, is worrying about him about him you know always moving and trying to you know put a pen on all of these potential careers and just about and just you know the instability of his life and that's why she's she's kind of worrying about Nick and she and she's saying oh maybe maybe Nick Nick shouldn't stay with you until you can settle down get a stable job stable job yeah. And then, and then Larry go takes Nick takes Nick to his hockey game, and then oof, and then remember Larry gets hit, hit in the eye with a puck. Yeah, that's which right. is like, you know, re- realistically that would leave some damage, and it's like we don't even see a bruise on on him afterwards. Yeah, is that slapstick humor? Like uh, physical. I'll say slapstick humor. Is that what it's called though? Slapstick, because it's, it's physical. I, I think, physical, I think right? anything That's physical, slapstick. like like Charlie Chaplin or Jim Carrey. Yeah, like the old school humor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then after the game, uh, Nick Nicky talks about wanting to be a bond trader like Don, and he says he calls it his fallback, which Larry kind of takes some issue with, and and then, and then his son mentions how Erica called Larry's project schemes and he's like, you know, why don't you be a normal guy and just get a job? And Larry is like, you know, my moment is coming. I just need, you know, need to find something. Mm-hmm. And it's funny watching this whole like opening act of a movie because if you just cut this out of the, if you just cut this apart from the rest of the movie, it comes off like the opening to like a like a dramedy, a very dryly told dramedy. Just even with the just even with the jokes you've seen so far, again, like with the whole bad man of stockbrokers, just jokes like that. So delivered very dryly, and it feels like a, a, an incredibly different tone from the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. with all of the magic and the fantasy. What what do you say that? Yeah. And just, and just even the way just even the way we're opening this up and having. And having Larry deal with, oh, like, you know, he's trying to connect with his son. Mm-hmm. He's struggling to find a job. Like, all of these, like, all of this stuff we're dealing with in the beginning is very adult-oriented. And, and I'm surprised, it's very mature. And I'm surprised it, it's being included in a movie that is, you know, like, it, it's, it's a family movie. And, I, and I, I, do, I do wonder if this would be hard for kids to get into. You, do you know what I mean? Like, if, 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 if it would be easy, maybe, for kids to get distracted during this opening scene. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I don't know. Why would kids? Oh, yeah. Just because, like, there's not much. I feel like there's not like, much action. Yeah, like e- again, even the humor. I mean, even the humor. I feel like any any opening act specifically mm-hmm. would appeal more to adults. It's not very. Yeah. It's not really big humor. It's more like quiet. Again, like deadpan humor. Yeah. And then again, Larry having Larry dealing with adult dealing with problems. That are pretty adult. They're not really things that kid, like can a kid really relate to. Obviously, like, well, maybe if they, if they, if they flip it around, like because Larry's trying to connect with his son, mm-hmm. maybe a kid could flip that around, and maybe be, be put himself in Nick's position. Right. But even with Larry trying to get a job again, like, is that is that really something that a kid would care about? Well, I mean, I mean, you see, I mean, the kid was a product of divorce, so sometimes, you know, they're more mature, and they know what's going on, so, and he's 10, so yeah, I, I think he would know, I think that's something that he would definitely be aware of. Oh, no, I mean, like, a kid in, a kid in the audience, like a kid oh. watching the movie in the audience. Um, well, if he could relate, if the kid had divorced parents, then the kid could relate, Maybe. you know, I don't, I don't think <laughs> that he should make movies, though, like, you know, even with Pixar, they don't make movies. True, with... 
kids in mind. They just, they just do their creative process. Well, more like, I would say more like Pixar appeals to children and adults on different levels. So there's something to right, appeal to everyone. But they're not everyone. making a specific like, oh, is this going True. to be kid appropriate? They just make their movie. True. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't do that. It's yeah, I, I didn't think about it that way. But... I think they said that before because you can't because there's, there's a lot of adult nuances in Pixar movies that kids would not get as their adult humor. Mm-hmm. If they're crass yeah. or something like maybe weird, yeah, and kids wouldn't get that, but adults do. But they're not going to take it out because it's uh, a kids and, movie. And then even even the seams, even the seams, like even mm-hmm. the soul. I feel like the soul was very much, yeah, adult orient, oriented. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Even we did even talk about this. Even soul from Pixar, we did talk about maybe. Oh, is that would that be harder for kids to get? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't think about about it that way. And I don't even though not even when I was younger. I do recall, like, I didn't, I, I, don't, I don't remember finding the movie boring. I just remember, like, you know, going along watching the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't remember finding the opening act boring. Yeah. And then next, there he goes to the employment agency, and then this is when Ann Mira has a cameo. And I love when, I love when she's like, you know, in all these, all of these years of working at this agency, I've never seen a resume quite y- like yours. And Larry is like, "All right," mm-hmm. and then she says, oh, that, "That wasn't a compliment." Oh, yeah, was, yeah, that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> and then, and then they, and then they, they get into uh, a company that he started started called Snap Time Industries, and he built basically he ripped off the crap the crapper, but his version is the snapper, mm-hmm. and. And Mira is like, crapping's easier. Like some people can't snap. <gasps> yeah, and yeah, it's funny that that she's in this, and I I didn't know this before, but she did a, a comedy act, a comedy duo with Jerry Stiller. Mm-hmm. Stiller and Mira, I didn't know that before. Uh, I P Jerry Stiller. Yeah. Yes, and. And then I also thought it was kind of funny when Larry is trying to be like, oh, you know, I kind of felt a connection when I came in here. And she's like, I didn't feel a connection. <laughs> just, the, just the way she easily, like, just brushes him off. Yeah, that's a funny scene. And again, I, I also do feel like this, these, these jokes in this scene also fall, again, into that same deadpan delivery. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and then she finally, you know, sends him off to the Museum of Natural History. And so now, so now he's going there, and we're introduced to a couple more characters in the cast. We've got Carla Gugino, also known as the mom from Spy Kids, mm-hmm. playing uh, Rebecca. Wait, was she, this movie before Spy Kids? It was after. Yeah, okay. BGM came out in 2006. I think the first Spy Kids, was that maybe 2000? Maybe 2001? Uh, Sometime in that era. Yeah, and she plays Rebecca, the museum docent who loves a sacrosanctuary. And okay, so now we're bringing up up. So it's funny. So because because the pronunciation of sacrosanctuary has actually been debated throughout history. Some people say sacrosanctuary. Some people say sacrosanctuary. And some historians also say it's actually Chicago, like Chicago way, with a hard C. Mm-hmm. And it bugs it bugs me that it's a gag in this movie that the uh, that the movie is constantly making fun of like oh like you know mispronouncing her name and I just feel like in in general I don't like gags like that that uh that that taunt that taunt you know like ethnic sounding na- names or phrases and it have like characters be like 
Oh wait, how do you pronounce this word? How do you pronounce it? I don't know. It's just kind of annoying. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, and it's and it's the thing is because even in, in the movie, I think they they actually pronounce it both ways because when Larry says, oh, when Larry says one way, and then I remember Rebecca correcting him and saying that it's saying it's pronounced Sacagawea, and then later on they correct him and say it's actually pronounced Sacagawea. Mm-hmm. So even 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 like the movie that doesn't decide as to which is the correct, correct pronunciation in its own world. So, yeah, that kind of annoys me. And any, any thoughts on that, on the pronunciation of a name? No, I mean, it's probably just people, you know, it's like tomato-tomato, but, you know, I mean, I don't yeah. see anything that... I just, I, just w- I just wish it wasn't a joke. Like, I, 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 I understand, like, just the debate over the pronunciation, but I wish it wasn't a joke in the movie. Mm-hmm. I hear you. And even in the sequel, it's still a joke. Because remember uh, Bill Hader when he's playing uh, General Custard? Yes. Uh, Gen- General George Custard, and he is al- he's also struggling to pronounce Sacagawea. Mm-hmm. So it's still a joke then. And I'll just say personally, like I, I I'll be pronouncing it Sacagawea, not be- necessarily because it's supposed to be correct correct pronunciation, but it's just the way I'm gonna pronounce it. Right. Again, the pronunciation has been debated throughout history. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was my thoughts on that, and then, and then after the introduction of Rebecca, we also have Ricky Gervais as the Fusty Museum d- director, Dr. McPhee, and he can't stand, remember, he can't stand kids, like, messing with uh, the T-Rex and touching them, mm-hmm. and I, I also wonder, if he, so there's a line when he, sa- when he says, control your young, please, and I do, I like that line, but I, I also wonder- Who says that, Larry? I know Dr. McPhee. Oh right. Remember, yeah. he mm-hmm. because he's frustrated with the kids, like touching the T Rex. Yep. And he says, "Control your young, please." But the thing is, his back is turned to the camera when he says that. So I, I, I just wonder if that line was done in ADR. Mm. And it's just always the thing. I, I think again now that I'm watching the movies more closely, it's always the thing I notice. I notice. So like. What if if a if a line of dialogue is said off screen, I'm, my brain is just always subconsciously going, "Oh, that was probably done in ADR." Mm-hmm. And and then after that, we get the introduction to the three night guards, Cecil, played by Dick Van Dyke, who has a, the trademark phrase "Moving on," and then Gus, played by Mickey Rooney, and Reginald, played by Bill Cobbs. And so, and we get the whole explanation about how the museum is saving Moolah by sacking the veteran guards, and they're gonna and they're gonna hire one new guard. And I love this, I love the shtick that Gus has of calling Larry these weird and amusing nicknames. Yes, yeah, like, hopscotch. Yep, hopscotch. And uh, so, so the first thing he says is he's like. He looks like a weirdy. Yeah. That's the first thing he says. And then he goes on to call Larry Snack Shack. Mm-hmm. And then I also love the joke when he's like, I won nine rounds with, with Jean Howard Sullivan. And then Reginald is like, You never fought Jean Howard Sullivan in your life. And the funny thing is, Sullivan actually passed away in 1918, two years before Mickey Rooney popped out into mortal existence. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you know, you definitely didn't fight Don Sullivan. You weren't even alive back then. And 
and then, and then so basically the the guys end up pretty much like pressuring Larry into taking the job because he's like, oh like I didn't I didn't know this was a, a night guard position, but they kind of push him into the role because obviously as it turns out the three old night guards are quite dastardly, and 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 and, and even like Cecil when the camera is closing in on, on him and he's like oh yes he's the one and he has like this little wicked little smirk mm-hmm. and it's like oh you're definitely sus obviously yeah and then Cecil goes on to give Larry a, a tour of the museum mm-hmm. and showing him around like a diorama room and and even when, like when he's messing remember when he's messing when, he, when he's wearing a costume remember yeah and he kind of like pulls a Frank and he, and he scares Larry mm-hmm. and then he's like don't fool around in here, though. This stuff is really old. Wow. And and then we also get a bit of uh, Dexter, and Cecil is like, "You're a little ball of fun, aren't you, Dexter?" <laughs> a little precursor to what will happen later on. Yeah. And then we're also shown the tablet of Achman Ra, and the twenty-four karat gold. And then, what 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 is? Larry, what Cecil says something kind of like suspicious, like "Oh, like oh, I, f- I forgot the exact line." But he says some, he says something in a suspicious tone here when they're talking about the tablet. But I can't remember exactly what. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, oh, he's like Larry's like, "Oh, that's cool." And then and then Cecil is like, "Yes, very cool." <laughs> and then oh, and so. I, I want to say that, so, uh, Crystal, Crystal is the Capuchin monkey who plays Dexter in the movie. And apparently, so, trainers spent several weeks uh, training her to slap and bite Ben Stiller. So, all, like, the slapping and the biting, that's actually real. Mm-hmm. Which, is fu- which is funny, but... And, so this, mo- this, so this monkey, Crystal, has actually been in a lot of... Hollywood movies. Wasn't she in Friends? Was she the same one that was in Friends? Friends, Friends. I don't know about Friends. I just know that she she was in uh, Doctor Doolittle. Uh, she was actually a, a baby, a baby capuchin in Drugs of the Jungle. She was also in Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. We Bought a Zoo, Zookeeper, American Pie, and uh, the, the Hangover Part Two, oh. as there's a drug dealing monkey. Mm-hmm. And just a little trivia I dug up about that was that apparently, uh, so when when uh for the movie Todd Phillips, the director, joked about Crystal being addicted to cigarettes after the smoking for the movie, and so there was a whole lot of fear about that. Like people were like, "Why did you let a monkey smoke?" And then they had to come back and be like, "No, actually, Crystal never held a lit cigarette. The smoke was added in digitally." In post-production. Mm-hmm. However, the thing is, Peter was denied visits to the movie set, which is why apparently in the credits it doesn't say that no animals were harmed because Peter wasn't able to authorize, uh, you know, validate that hey, no animals were harmed. So it does make me a little suspicious. Like, wait, did did Crystal actually really hold a, a lit cigarette? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of seems a bit dubious there. Anyways. But so yeah, so Crystal has has been in a lot of Hollywood movies, and and also she does come back. It's a, it's the same monkey in the Museum of Seat Wars. Mm-hmm. And 
and then so now Larry is gonna he work at the museum, and Cecil gives them the instructions, and Gus calls them hopscotch, mm-hmm. and then this gives time for Larry to just kind of fool around, and he's, and and, and I like this I like I like the scene. It feels, it it feels like uh, so the movie just lets you know Ben Stiller ad ad lib, mm-hmm. just just you know, kind of play around, and. Then he ends up singing Eye of a Tiger. And although I, I do I will say, this is like this is like a huge museum. And you're just gonna have one god cover the whole thing. I don't right. know. It just seemed kind of unrealistic for me. Mm-hmm. And and then Okay, so here's the thing. So why don't the exhibits wake up right at sundown? Because I'm just kinda confused because he's at the museum and it looks like outside the sun is already di- is already down. So why haven't the exhibits been animated yet? Because that's a whole because you know uh, okay. So let's just get into the, the rules of the tablet. And I'm actually wondering before we, before we get into my opinions, was there any points when you were when you were wondering to yourself, hey, like how do the rewards work? Well, I mean. You know, what time did they, did they, was there a time, was it like midnight or something that it started? So, the, the rules for the tablet is that at sundown, all of the exhibits come to life. Well, and because... Then, and then at, at sunrise, all of the exhibits go back to their frozen states. So, like, in the beginning, because he had time, like, in the beginning to himself. Yeah, and, and I saw it, and I saw, like, wait, I mean, that was isn't, it, isn't, isn't it night already? Yeah. So, I feel like that's a bit of a, a plot. plot hole there. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so here's the thing. Also, how does the magic work? Like, how far does the magic reach? Because the thing is, there's, like, there's a statue of, uh, of Theodore Roosevelt up on, the ho- up on the horse, remember? Mm-hmm. Outside, right outside the museum. Which, I think, if I recall correctly, that statue has been taken down now. Remember? Because of the racist depiction. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, so like that's right outside the museum, but why doesn't that come to life? You know what I mean? Wait, a different one? Are you talking about? Oh, it does come to life. So no, no. So right outside the museum, remember, is Theodore Roosevelt on his horse? Isn't he on his? Right. Are you talking about Robin Williams? I don't know what you're saying. No, no, no. So Robin Williams is different. So Robin Williams. I'm, There's I'm, two Theodore. Teddy yes. Roosevelt statues in the museum. Yes, it, it it's the one outside. Oh. You know, you know, like on the on the horse, it's kind of like the greenish, like grayish, grayish statue on right on the stairs. Okay. I'll right look. on the steps. Okay. Do, do you remember the statue? No. So I'll look it up. Right on the steps, and he's on the horse, and there's like an, a Native American person on one side, mm-hmm. and there's another person on the other side. And remember, there's a whole fear about the racist depiction. Okay. No, but I I got it. Mm-hmm. All right. So. But my whole thing is like, okay, why doesn't that come to life? Because it's right outside the museum, isn't it within the, isn't it within the, the power of the tablet? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it, and it's just weird because we like, we know statues can come to life because it happens like even in the third movie with those lion with those lion statues, they come to life. Remember in the, in, in London? Mm-hmm. And oh wait, yeah, I don't know. It's just like. So then I just make me so it makes me wonder. Well, wait. If there, is there any is there any monuments that that maybe move within range of the of the museum? Shouldn't they come to life as well? Like if there, if if there is a if there's a monument that passed by on a truck, would it come to life? 
And then also, so also, what, what, what do you have to, what does uh, an object have to possess in order to be able to come to life? Because in, in this world, statues can come to life, the miniatures can come to life. It seems like anything that's depicting like a, a person or a being or an animal can come to life. Mm-hmm. But why doesn't, say, uh, a bottle of water become animated, become anthropomorphic? Actually, I think it's a point because only for animals. But anyway, like, why doesn't a bottle of water come to life? Mm, no, if it brings everything to life. But maybe it's just like animals, like that would be. I, I, I almost wonder if, if it's because, like, you you you, you could really spend some time like digging into the world. But I almost wonder if it's because, say, if something depicts a person or something living, mm-hmm. then that means it has some kind of inherent soul. Right. Appointed to it by the universe. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I, okay. I, I know the movie isn't supposed to be supposed to be this deep, but but like when you have a tablet that gives life to monuments and statues and exhibits, you can't help but let your mind just wander off into the magic of a tablet. Right. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Anyways, all right. So yeah. So yeah. So magic works at sunrise and sundown, and then. And then there he falls asleep, and then he wakes up, and then, and then there's a, there's a few moments where he's whistling, where he's whistling, and apparently from what I've learned and from the trivia on IMDb, he's whistling the song "Them Dry Bones," which is actually it's funny because "Them Dry Bones" is about bones being connected in the right order and then disconnecting them, which is which is fitting because the scene concerns the T Rex. T-Rex fossil, and then Larry walks by, and then, he, and then he realizes, oh wait, the T-Rex is missing. And he thinks Cecil is pulling a magic trick at first. And, but, but then nope, we, we find out the T-Rex is alive, and he's getting, trying to get, it, trying to get a, a drink of water. Kind of tinges of horror in the scene, I would say. Just the way that the scene is depicted was like Larry finding his T-Rex. I think in, in, in a different movie, this would have been perfect for like a horror setting, I would say. Mm. And... I don't know, like... It's funny, like, the the, the movie is, is pretty lighthearted. But some of the stuff, like, actually, like, it, it would be terrifying mm. to actually come across like this T-Rex. And I do think it gets got across, like when Larry is just like running away from the T-Rex and he's trying to hide under his desk. And, and and remember he's calling Cecil for help, mm-hmm. and Cecil is just like read the instructions. It explains everything. And remember, remember Cecil is at that retirement party, mm-hmm. and he he just gets pulled away by some like twenty like some twenty or thirty year old woman. Remember, mm-hmm. just to go out and dance. And then and then we and then we find out the T Rex the T Rex, kind of act, kind of act, uh, acts like a dog and. It wants Larry to toss it, uh, it's, it's red bone, mm-hmm. and kind of kind of weird that the, the T-Rex acts like that, because, I don't know, like, I'm watching this, and I'm just like, you should, like, you should be acting like you're in Jurassic Park and wanting to gobble up Larry, but, Well, you know, that's part of the fun, though. I know, it acts like part dog. of the, yeah, it's a, it's a whole yeah. family entertainment of it all, mm-hmm. and then, and so, yeah, so I would say this is, Part of what I struggle with plot-wise is that then I feel like it's it's stuff like this 
when Larry's just kind of like having to confront uh, all of the ruckus in the museum, and it's just like all of these events happening, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like it, it's all happening. It's all just happening. It's not really, it's not really connected in any specific order. You know what I mean? Right. And so I, I do, I do struggle with that as someone you know who does prefer um, a, a stricter, you know, plot arc. You know, I, 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 again, but again, this is just supposed to be a tighter, a tighter script. Enjoyable well, movie is not supposed to be so serious that you know everything is going to be factually correct. It's just a fun, you well, know, taking with a grain of salt. Well, not factually movie. correct, more like a, a tight script. You know what I mean? But right. you know, I, you know, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And and then oh yeah, so yeah, so so then Larry has to deal with the rest of the museum. And oh, I also before I I almost forgot this. I also like the, the the shots when the camera is looking at Larry mm-hmm. from uh, Rexy's POV. Do you remember that shot? Mm-hmm. And the, the camera's kind of like peeking through the, the holes right. and Rexy's skull. Mm-hmm. I, I like that shot. Yeah, it's a good shot. And then we've got more stuff. We've got a little run-in with the cavemen who... I think, I think they, they, they want Larry to join, to join them and like, you know, starting a fire. And then we've got the Easter Island head or the, the Moai. Who calls Larry Dum Dum and requests gum? Okay, now this is another another gag that annoys me. It's just the Mo, the Mo, the Moai's whole thing is call, it was both both wanting gum. Like I want here's the gum thing, but calling Larry Dum Dum it just feels like oh like it feels like the kind of gag where you you're, you're expecting a kid to laugh just because he say poop or yeah. you know penis. Kind of really simple. Or you know dummy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of annoys me. I feel, again, it's kind of like gag, so, so gags like that that are more juvenile that, that annoy me. And they, they, feel dis, uh, they feel dissonant when you get when you have other, like, drier jokes. Like, especially the ones, again, that, like I pointed out before, the, the dry jokes in the opening act of, of the movie. And then we've got Attila the Hun and his Huns chasing after Larry. And Larry barely escapes them by running in, by escaping in the elevator and then we also have him me- meeting a Sacagawea and she's tra- she's trapped behind the grass with the US explorers Mary Weather Lewis and William Clark mm-hmm. and the and then we have the whole thing with the civil war soldiers and they're, fi- and they're fighting and Larry ends up having to, to just crawl his way out of there and yeah but he could have, I was like, he was, he could have died right in that scene. Like, remember they had the bayonets, bayonets? Yeah. And they were so close to his right, head. It's yeah. like, he, he could have just run, run right through. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh my, there are points in this movie where I'm like, oh, well, just like, oh my gosh, how do you avoid dying in this museum when you've got like a tele, a tele threatening to like rip your limbs apart and then you've also got the Civil War soldiers, like, how do you, how do you avoid them? And stuff like that. And then also, like, uh, like, to Lexi, what if he, what if he accidentally stomps on Larry? And then, yeah. also, it also makes you wonder about the, about Cecil and Gus and Reginald, like, how have you, like, how long have, have they done this? How have they avoided, like, you know, any mishaps? Have they been injured in the past? Mm-hmm. And, Okay, something else. Uh, something else. I, uh, something else. I need to nitpick. I also never get this. I never get the sense oddly enough that Cecil, Gus, and Reginald 
have actually formed any 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 sort of relationships with the exhibits. It's just they, they they never like they never make any they never make any references as like oh being friends with them or just like or or even even when even when at the end of the movie when Gus and Reginald are caught by the exhibits when they're trying to steal stuff and they're trying to escape but then they get caught I never get the sense that they've known the exhibits for a while or the exhibits have known them for years it's just for for all I know the guys could have just been working at the at the museum for even like one month. And it just it just it just feels it feels strange. It feels like oh like it, I I should the movie should should make me feel like Gus and Reginald and Cecil have been working at this museum for years and they've known the exhibits for such a long time. And what what are your thoughts on that? Well, you're saying that they weren't they didn't seem that close or attached to them, right? Yeah. Like like Larry got really yeah like Larry got really attached to them. them. And I'm wondering and I'm wondering like why didn't Cecil, Gus, and Reginald feel the same way? Well, again, that's probably a plot hole because I feel like they, they probably did, unless they're just not the person, unless they were just too, um, they never got along with them. But I don't even, I don't, I, I don't even feel like they have any sense of familiarity. Even yeah. they don't have to feel, they don't have to necessarily even, like the exhibit. Even Teddy Re- Roosevelt or Owen Wilson's oh. character, like they didn't have any. Yeah, like, I'm surprised. Like, why didn't the exhibits ever, ever make references to the old guys? Like, I, I, I feel like they would make jokes about the old guys. Yeah, maybe like, oh, you're the new guy, or yeah, or just make maybe, maybe tell stories about what the old guys were like. Yeah. You know, if 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 we had a few bits like that, then I would feel like, oh, like the gods have actually worked here for years. Because from from the way I I get it, it seems like they must have worked here for decades. Uh-huh. At least they never say exactly how long they worked here, but that's just my interpretation. Also makes you wonder because we we also learn uh, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but we we learned that the tablet came to the museum in 1952. From the Nile expedition, so that makes me wonder: Did did uh, did Cecil and Gus and Reginald were they working at the museum in 1952, and have they been the same guards since then, mm-hmm. or was there guards who worked at the museum before them? Any thoughts? Um. Well, like, any guards who worked at the museum before Cecil, Gus, and Reginald, and they had to deal with the tablet. It's never specified. It's never specified, but I don't know. Just if you have any thoughts about that. Um. Well. If there were any guards who worked at the museum before Gus Reginald and Cecil. No, I feel like he worked there for a while. Because remember in one of the. Um... Because I think it could. It no, could no, be... no. It was in the third episode, third one, where they're like, remember, they're like, oh, that guy, that he's he's been here forever, and it was Cecil, like when he was younger. Oh, and he that's was right. There for C- a really Cecil, Cecil, he was at the expedition. Yeah, he was at the, and so that also then it does make it more weird that he wasn't close to the exhibits because as a kid, that's why he started working there. I think because, yeah, no, that does make it all weird. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's right. He found he was at the expedition. I forgot about mm-hmm. that for a moment. Mm-hmm. Weird, yeah. Mm-hmm. Alright, so I guess, see, that's another issue I do have. It doesn't, it doesn't detract that much from my overall enjoyment, enjoyment of the movie, but just something that I need to, you know, point out. Yeah, so we got that. Okay, so, then, so after the Civil War soldiers, there's a, there's a bit where Larry asks uh, Christopher Columbus for help and mistakes him for Galileo. And that's kind of a, a running gag in the movie, where I think it's the first time with Galileo, and then he's like, Cortez, right? And then he, he mistakes him for Cortez. 
and then and then and then Larry has to try to lock out the lions and the horn of African mammals, but and but he tries to do this, but then he ends up having to try to get his keys back from Dexter. And oh, okay, okay another terrifying moment here. He had so remember because he closes the gate and then the lion just comes right up to him. And again, another terrifying moment. Like also, how do you, how did no one get injured from from the lions in this museum? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just kind of horrifying. Yeah. But yeah, so so Larry isn't able to close the gate though because he stole he because Doctor stole the keys. And then he's trying to just kind of you know be be nice to Doctor, trying to get the keys back. But then Doctor proceeds to bite his nose, and then pee on him. And then finally, rip up the damn instructions. Mm-hmm. And okay, so uh, okay, so here's the thing. So Dexter, some things about Dexter I do like. I like the for for some reason the the slapping bit. That some for some reason does get me. I I do laugh at that. I don't know why. And just something you know something about the slapstick. It does tickle my you know slapstick funny bone. But then other things like the whole like when Dexter pees on on Larry, I don't know. Just these days, I do not care for uh, urine and poop humor, and so I just I just find that to be a real groaner, and just didn't need, didn't need that for a movie. Again, I feel like some stuff like the pee like when when Dexter pees on pees on Larry, it does fall into that immature range of the uh, of humor. That I could have done without, and again, like you know, I, I, I like I, I like the staffing, and I and, and again, I feel like that also shifts. It like it does kind of fall into the again more of the amateur range of comedy, but with, again, just for me specifically, I'm okay with that. I I find myself laughing at the staffing, and just e- e- even when like remember when Larry and uh and Dexter are staffing each other later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did find that to be amusing. And it's and it's a it's a whole bit, like yeah, it's it's a whole bit throughout the movies. But I I feel like the slapping shouldn't work on me, but it does for some reason. And and then we've got the 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 diorama room. Larry goes in there, and then we've got the the Mayans dotting his face, and I remember he's like, oh shit. remember, mm-hmm. because they 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 they, uh, they shot his lips so he couldn't talk properly. And then he and then he's dealing with Jedediah, played by Owen Wilson, and the rest of the his, the Wild Wild West exhibits. And I I love that I I love when when Owen Wilson is like someone's gotta pay and there he's like uh, who? And Jedediah is like, I don't know, just pay. I'll stop whining and take it like a man. And then the, remember the, the train is coming, but then it just crashes right into Larry's head. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. It, it's funny because I, I actually I think that I think that Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson actually have a, quite a bit of comedic chemistry in in this movie. Like they actually work well together. And e- even in the scenes that have like Larry, that have Ben Stiller, uh, Steve Coogan, and Owen Wilson on a one scene, which is funny because obviously Owen Wilson and Steve Coogan weren't on set. You know they had to work on green screen. And even like I know Ben Stiller, he, the, he would like there's a scene when 
in scenes when he's like, there's a scene later on when he's holding, when he's holding Jedediah, and in that scene, he was just holding a toothpick. But it, it feels like, it feels like the miniatures and Larry are actually interacting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're in the room together. Mm-hmm. It is, it, it, it doesn't feel like, it, it doesn't feel like Ben Stiller is in this room, and then Owen Wilson and Steve Coogan are clearly on sound green screen. Which is nice, you know, that's something, you, you know, you do need to appreciate that the chemistry, the comedic chemistry, feels like it's all palpable right there. Mm-hmm. And, and then, oh, and then I also like it when, when Jedediah calls them both Cephas of a man. And then, oh, and then remember when, when Larry is getting out, is getting out of the ropes, and he just flicks someone off of his shoulder, remember? Oh wait, one of the little guys. One of the little guys, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm like, that many should die because I'm not sure the many should could have survived the whole fall from his shoulder. Right. Well, they're not real though. Well, I guess. Well, that's that's right because even remember when uh when Teddy is run over later on, mm-hmm. his legs just split off his body. Remember, remember because he's made from wax. Right. So I almost I almost feel like so the bodies the bodies are more durable. Probably mm-hmm. many of like the miniatures or the exhibits are more durable than human human you know flesh and blood bodies. Right. And and so I also learned from trivia that Owen Wilson's role as Jedediah was actually supposed to be a cameo, but his character tested so well with the audience that they decided to enlarge the role. Which I'm glad. I mean, can you imagine like? Owen Wilson just being a cameo in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I love him like you know having a big having as big of a role as he does. Mm-hmm. You know, as said, and yeah, and, and then so Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson they were on set together for only one day, and yeah, so and Owen Wilson filmed all of his parts a three months later, after all of the on set scenes. Oh really? Yes. And, and again, that's why I said it for. Like, I appreciate again. It feels like they're all on set together, even, even though Owen Wilson and Steve Coogan were all in, on the uh, green screen, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like how that works out. And then, and then we also have Steve Coogan coming in as Octavius and his Roman army, and they launch the the flaming arrows and catapults. And also, like, definitely the 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 all of the miniatures in the Wild Wild West exhibit. Uh, they 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 faced some trouble there because remember all of the flaming catapults and arrows that hit them that hit them directly. So again, so again, like I'm not sure if they died necessarily. Again, I think I do think those bodies are more durable. But still, you know, I wouldn't want to go up against any you know an, an armada of fire. <laughs> Um, I mean, they're small, but if if I, it might still hurt a little bit, or just like sting, you know, like a paper cut does, or a little tiny. So I want well, is it, that's thing, could they melt though? It, like the fire, what 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 if it melts of miniatures? Oh, that's true. Again, yeah, again, I, 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 I know the movie doesn't want you to think this deeply, mm-hmm. but it's just something that comes to mind. Like, would like, would it melt the miniatures? Maybe again, because they are made of wax, right? So it could melt them. Mm-hmm. Worst case, oof. Ugh. And then Theodore Teddy Roosevelt comes in, played by Robin Williams, and pulls Larry up on his horse and rides away. And Jedediah is screaming after them, and he's like, That mustachioed horseman won't always come after to, to save you, you hear me? Mm-hmm. And then, 
Yeah, so, Robin Williams. Let's talk a bit about, about Robin Williams. What do you think of him in this movie? No, I love Robin, Robin Williams, of course. Yes. Yeah, I think... Yeah, he he. Don't, yeah, I think in general, like you know, Robin Williams, he brings a a heart to 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 his role. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like humanity. He makes his characters empathetic. Yeah. And you know, I I P unfortunately, and it's okay. It, it it is funny because, uh, so so Teddy has this whole thing of you know of crushing on Sacagawea, and. And it does, it, it gives off stalkery vibes. Would you say that? The what kind of vibes? Stalkery vibes, the way he's just kind of like watching her. No, I mean, he just has a crush. Oh, sorry. He has a crush on her, so. I, I mean, know, but just, since, since uh, 1952, probably. Right, but they haven't been. The thing is, though, has he seen her before? Oh, I guess they have been coming alive, yeah. Um, it's just that she's been trapped behind the glass right. for over half a decade. No, I think it's alright. I don't, I don't know. know. Personally, I'm just gonna say that I'm I think I think it's kind of like stalkery vibes, and this is a crush on her that he's afraid to. I talk know, but he's to watching her. her. He's like w- watching her, kind of creepy. I know. That's what people do. And I, like, I, I, I mean, if he likes her, he's gonna be like watching and staring. Obviously, if he likes her, so it's not like he's gonna not look at her. I mean, he's not like staring her all day or all night. I guess I don't think so. I think he's I, just... I, I, I don't know. I kind of got that impression. I don't know. And I don't know. He, so here's the thing. I quite a few of Robin Williams' roles, if you think about them, have actually been creepy. I'll, I'll, I'll list a few of them off. So, Mrs. Doubtfire. Ha- again, I haven't seen the movie, but I just from what I, what I know about Mrs. Doubtfire, kind of creepy to dress up as an old woman and pretend and be the babysitter for your kids mm-hmm. and disguise yourself. Yeah. Kind of stalkery there. Mm-hmm. Uh. Okay. Also, Insomnia. Uh, Christopher Nolan's second movie. No, not second. Christopher Nolan's third movie, Insomnia. In that movie, Robin Williams plays a kind of like this reclusive novelist who has uh, who has murdered a, te- a teenage girl. And just from what I've seen of that, Robin Williams definitely gives off like creepy vibes. Which he's supposed to be like he like he's he's a murderer that Al Pacino was hunting down. Mm-hmm. So pur- purposefully, he's he's uh, kind of like disturbing there. And then, the the, fi- the, fi- the final cut, that is a, a sci-fi movie, and 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 so and in in this movie, basically, it's this whole sci-fi world where you have these memory implants in your veins, and when you die, people called cutters take all of the footage from your veins because this implant records everything you see. So cutters take all of this footage and compi- compile it into a video. Uh, it's kind of like, like the best of moments of your life. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams in this movie is a cutter. And just, again, in, in that movie, from, like, the way, for, you know, the way it progresses, he is kind of like stalkery. Like, just the way he, like, he, he's editing all of this footage and seeing all of this stuff, that, seeing all of like, the good and the ugly of people's lives. And then he, and then he gets involved with a woman whom he first saw in the footage of a dead person as he was editing the, 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 the footage from the memory implant. So again, kind of stalkery vibes there. And then the last thing I'll list is One Hour Photo, mm-hmm. a thriller in which he works at this Photoshop, and then he ends up being obsessed over this family who comes to the Photoshop. 
and then he kind of turns into a stalker there. But then, from 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 what I know about the movie, again, that, I I think that turns into a thing where it's like, oh, he's stalking the family, but then he actually uncovers some dark secrets and kind of turns into a hero, as he's trying to save them. But still, like in general, the role he has in one hour photo is gives off huge like huge stalkery vibes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. Quite a, quite a, quite a few of the stalkery roles in uh, in Robin's filmography. And, yeah, I feel like, I don't know, just, yeah, I, I feel like T- Teddy Roosevelt kind of falls into that in that museum. Yeah. Anyways. So, okay, yeah, so, so, na- so now we, so now we have, uh, Larry and Teddy, be- Teddy meeting up, and so, and so now we have the, we get the explanation about, uh, the, the, the tablet of Ackman Ra, and, how it was excavated in, in the Nautilus expedition, expedition of 1952, and it gives the it, it wakes up all the exhibits at at night, and and then we so Aquanra uh, Aquanra is screaming from inside the sarcophagus. You remember this, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like the movie ever ever truly de- deals with how frightening it was for him to be trapped for. What I'm assuming is thousands of years, unless maybe he was... No, I, I don't think he was able to find a way to escape. Because the tablet has always been with him, remember? Mm-hmm. And so... Okay, so... Here, uh, here's a little gripe I have, because remember... In, in, the, third mo- in the third movie... Remember... Remember in the third movie, we have like Ben Kingsley... Explaining how... Oh, like the tablet was built to... You know, give us... In, to make us immortal at night, so that we would never be separated. Remember, mm-hmm. so, the par- so the parents would never be separated from Akinra. Okay, but here's here's the thing. In the second movie. Uh, no, it's the third movie. In the third movie, right? Here's the thing. If you wanna, if you wanna make some magical device to make yourself, you know, always be immortal, you know, at night, so that you're never gonna be separated. Wouldn't you find a way to stop your son from being trapped in the sarcophagus and being turned into a mummy? What do you, what do you think? Yeah. Like, it, w- w- say, let's let's put ourselves in your position. Say you made this device. Wouldn't you find a try to find a way to stop you from being a mummy? Like, why? If we even have this device, why would you let me be mummified in the first place? Wait, his parents made the tablet. They made the tablet. So that way to give him to make to make himself to make to make himself come alive at night. So that way, even after they quote unquote died, they can still come back at night. Right. So why but, but why would Aquanra be turned into a mummy if that's the case? Wouldn't they just find a way to secretly move around the world and keep themselves hidden, so that way they can come back at night? Oh, I don't know. That's a little bit too involved for me. Again, <laughs> it's just like. Uh, <coughs> I don't- the, the rules. No, no, I think I think that they had to be mummified, right first. No, because no, like I I would just find I would just find I would just find a way to just be able to keep myself to keep ourselves safe and hidden because obviously it's not like we would be able to go out it's not like we would be able to to be ex- expose ourselves to the real world or at least you know we would have to come up with fake identities, you know, and with aliases right. that way people don't find out. That we're immortal in a fashion, not completely immortal because we can't be alive and at day and, and night. 
But we have power to be alive at night, as long as we have a tablet in our hands. But, it's just like, yeah, why would you allow yourselves to, like, why would you allow, you, allow your son to be, to be mummified, and then put in the sarcophagus, and then he's trapped in there? Again, I'm pretty sure he's trapped in there for a couple thousand years, probably. Because he, he even mentions later on, remember? At, towards the end of the movie, when I think it's, it's Larry on deck who asks him, how do you speak English? And then he's like, you know, he spent time at Cambridge because he was on display in the Egyptology department. So again, it shows that, again, because the tablet's always been with him, it means he's been stuck inside the sarcophagus for years and years. So it hasn't even been a period where the tablet has been separated from, it, from, him, from him at least. So we can have a period of time where he's not having to suffer all of these nights stuck in this tight space. And it just makes me panic to think about that, 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 that prospect. Mm -hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel like you're not really an as anxious about this as, as I I'm am. Not as, yeah, I don't really, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't not really. You need to understand. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. It's just um, it's not gonna be completely, you know. I know, and it it's not gonna be completely tight. Yeah, exactly. But still. Uh, all right, all right. So just calm down. Calm down. Just calm down. It's okay. All right. So okay. So Aquinrod, Teddy informs Larry about the tablet of Aquinrod. Okay, and then, and then I like the moment when Teddy is just like ah, and it's like. And remember when he's scaring Larry? Mm-hmm. And... Which is kind of like a, a running gag, also. It's like Teddy, you know... Just kind of like being like, Boo! And scaring Teddy... And scaring Larry. <laughs> and then... And then as they're leaving the exhibit, Teddy wants Larry to avoid making eye contact with these aqua statues. And... It's funny, when I look, when I look at the... When I look at the jackals, it's just... Always automatically makes me think of the Mummy Returns. You know, it's a whole army of jackals. Remember that? Yeah. And so, okay, so, so so then we also learn that if the exhibits go outside when the sun is up, they turn to dust. So now I'm wondering, does this mean other exhibits have suffered the same fate in the past? Yeah, I'm leaning how, towards how that. Know, how do they know how, when to come inside? Well, yeah, because. Well, I, I I was thinking to myself, like, wait, do the exhibits just inherently know that they will turn to dust? Mm -hmm. Or was this a case where some where a, an exhibit had to die before they realized, oh, wait, we can't go outside in the daylight? So, just again, I, I, it's, it's points like that where, again, just, you know, flesh it out a little more. Mm -hmm. But, again, like, I guess, like, as you said before, it is a family movie, doesn't have to get that deep. I don't know. It could get it could get yeah that deep though if you if you really wanted to make your script a little tighter for viewers like me who uh, ask questions like this. And then we have a we have the scene where the first scene where Teddy is spying on Sacagawea, but he says, "Oh, like he's just tracking." And then Larry talks about possibly not coming back because he doesn't really feel like he's a good fit for this job. And then Teddy says, he, he like, some men are born great, others have greatness stressed upon them. And then, and then Teddy scares Larry again, right before sunrise. And then, we've, and then 
he had his eyes in Larry's pocket, remember? Mm-hmm. And, and then he's like, say hello to your little friends. And I think that's supposed to be a Scarface nod, right? Mm-hmm. And then, I, I, I like when Shadadiah tries to, sh- to shoot at Larry, but his gun is non-functional. <laughs> and then, I, 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 think, I think one of my favorite jokes in this movie is, is when Larry's like, this is like, this job isn't worth 11.50 an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Well, also, 11.50, 11.50, I feel like that's pretty low. But keep in mind, this movie was back in 2006. So, 11.50, I feel like would actually be, that, that's appropriate for that time. Right. You know, minim, minimum, minimum wage and all that. And... Then all we see all the exhibits. They are turning back into the inanimate forms as the sun rises, and then, and and then, we have uh, Larry telling Cecil, Gus, and Reginald that he quits, and then Gus is like, "Keep a lid on it, butterscotch." <laughs> Remember, because Larry Larry scares Larry scares them the way that he's been, you know, terrified all night. Right. Yeah, yeah, but 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 scotch, I love that. Mm-hmm. But then after Larry goes outside, and he bumps into Nikki and Don, and Don, and Nick is like, you know, oh, it's so cool that you're working here. Just convinces Larry to go back, and you know, just you know, you know, he he'll tr- he'll try, he'll take another crack at this job. And then, uh, and then Doctor McPhee comes up to him, and takes Larry to task for the for what happened in the diorama room, where Jedediah apparently put Octavius in the stockade. And I like to, I, I, this is a, a gag that also makes me laugh, seeing, you know, the visual gag. Mm-hmm. And I also kind of like the, the way that McPhee, or the way that R- R- Ricky Gervais plays McPhee in the scene, where he's like, you know, I, I don't appreciate your humor box. Right. And, 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 he's, and he's like, Oh, like, you know, whoa, what did he say? Something about, yeah, he, he, he's like, oh, because Larry's like, I'm not trying to get in a battle of wits with you, or a battle of comedy, and McPhee is like, oh, no, you don't, because it would be a blood ba- a bloodbath, and, and, and so, also, a thing that uh, McPhee does, I, in this movie, is that, uh, or Ricky Gervais, Ricky Gervais tends to not finish his sentences in, in this movie. And he does it here when he's like, I found it about as funny as a fanciest. And then he just, just, just kind of chills off. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 in, scene, I, in general, in the movie, I like the way that improv works because I feel like, like in the scene specifically with, with Larry and, and, and McPhee, I feel like the way Ricky Gervais def, definitely does some improv here, but it, is, it doesn't stretch too far. And in general, I feel like the movie kind of kept, keeps a, a tight lid on the, on the ad-libbing. You know, you know what I mean? Yes, I And do. it doesn't let it drag on for too long. I feel like that's a problem I have with the sequels, is that I do feel like there are moments in the sequels where the ad-lib, ad-libbing goes on for too long. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you, it just makes, it, it, may, it may, and it makes me feel like, okay, I get the jokes, can we move on now with the movie? You know what I mean? And then Cecil tells Larry to study his, to study his history, if you want to know how to handle the exhibits in place of the lost instructions. And then we've got Larry joining in on the tour that Rebecca is giving to the children. And 
and it's funny when they go into the haunt of African mammals, and we were talking about this earlier, remember, when she's like, when she says the capuchin monkey is known for its loving and generous nature. Oh, right. And which Larry scoffs at. scoffs at that, yeah. And, and, and then afterwards, Larry just goes right up to Dexter, and he's like, there's a storm coming, buddy. There's a storm coming. Mm-hmm. And then Larry, and then Larry asks Rebecca if Sankar uh, Wea uh, was deaf. And she and and she's like, she's like, yeah, because it just seems like she kind of like, uh, I forget, I forget, I forget the exact wording of the line, but do you remember? Uh, with which one? Uh, when she's asking Rebecca if Sacagawea is deaf. Oh, and, she's like she's a statue. Uh, right, she's a statue. Yes. <laughs> and 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 then Larry and, and Rebecca go out for coffee because so Larry can you know. Do, go through his history absorption, and this is just as the first bit where she, where she corrects him on the pronunciation of Sacagawea, and I think she, she says we are, she says we are as, as correct pronunciation this time around, although, but, but then later on, they're like, no, it's we are. So yeah. Sacagawea, yes. I, 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 again, I do kind of, I do wish the, the pronunciation of her name was not a joke. Yeah. Just, no. Again, again, it, it, it's a trope to kind of like laugh, laugh, or like you know, laugh at the ethnic words, or like you know, words, basically like words that aren't white, white sounding, and it's just a, a trope that annoys me. Mm-hmm. You know, e- e- even in a, even in a, in in, in the pilot for the, the Good Place, there's a there's a, a joke where Kristen Bell, uh, has trouble pronouncing the the, the last name of her. Of, of a person who has been assigned as a soulmate in a good place, and it's just like, you know, okay, I don't really need, I don't really need this joke. It's un- un- unnecessary. Doesn't really fit in with the rest of the humor in this in the show. So yeah, don't don't care for that trope. I made it clear. And then, and then Rebecca also mentions about writing a, writing a lengthy dissertation on Sacagawea for four years, and describes it as being a, like a, a nine hundred page book. And, uh, okay, oh, so, something I forgot to bring up, so, so, Sakura Wea, she is at a, so when, when she, so when she was enlisted for Thomas Jefferson's Corps of Discovery to take Lewis and Clark through the Louisiana territories, this happened when she was at age 16. So, I also kind of find it, I find it kind of, uh, you know, unsettling. That this whole this this, this whole romance, romance between Teddy and Sacagawea. Really? Because I just I just said she was sixteen when she mm-hmm. st- when she was giving when she was when she was leading Lewis and Clark. Oh. And but but then it's weird because it's like the actor who plays her is an adult is a full grown adult. Right. So, oh. So I'm just like wait. So it's just it's just exhibit it's just exhibit it's just a specific exhibit that's depicting Sacagawea. Is this when she's an adult, or is this supposed to be when she's sixteen? I and I can't tell because it's like you have a full-grown adult playing playing the character, but then she's also with Lewis and Clark, and again she was sixteen when she was leading the expedition. So again, just kind of a, a weird detail there. Yeah. Again, I don't think the movie wants you to think that that you know looks that closely at the details, but again, I can't help but do that. Do just that, and. Okay, and I, uh, I would say like a a general, 
a, a criticism I another criticism criticism I have about about the movie is that it does the the history it presents is uh pretty much white, and I feel like all all of the, the, the people of color and the, and the people of color the historical figures are are minimized like Sacagawea, Attila the Hun. They have the smaller roles, even Ra. And like while I'm glad, for example, she she actually who played Sacagawea, uh, Ms. Ms. Ro, Ms. Ro Peck, she is indigenous. So I'm glad that they have an indigenous actor playing an indigenous an indigenous character, an you know an indigenous real life person, rather than you know casting a, a white person as an as an indigenous character, a la Taylor Lautner, as you know Jacob Black. Oh, I I didn't know um Jacob Lautner was white. I thought he was Taylor Lautner ta- or ta- Lautner. <laughs> Taylor. I yeah, didn't... he is he is white. He just has olive skin. And I think even some of the uh, even some of the other uh, Native American characters in the Twilight movies, it, some some of them are played by white people, others are played by indigenous actors, mm-hmm. and it just all depends. But yep, yeah, white whitewashing, and you know, just in general, the from what I've learned about Twilight, and just from what I've read up on it, and definitely Stephanie Myers does not do a great job. With the depiction of Native American people and with the cultural appropriation, and like apparently, like there was, there were so many people, just like with the the the, the Quillard tribe, so many people like actually thinking like, oh, they can transform into wolves, and trying and all of these tourists are just like coming in and kind of like invading their land, and just it's it, it just ah. Uh, it frustrates me mm-hmm. when I when, when when I hear about stuff like that, and on the one hand, like you know, I'm glad that people are actually making donations now to the Quillo tribe, and you know, to actually there are more and more people getting educated about you know wanting to learn about them, mm-hmm. and it, and you know it does it did happen because of the fame they gained they gained through the Twilight franchise. But also, it's just like, why does the cultural appropriation have to happen in the first place? And why does it have to, you know, uh, promote the indigenous stereotypes? Anyway, so, back to the movie. So, yeah, so then, so Larry, Larry reads up in his history. He's reading about Huns uh, tearing apart Roman soldiers from limb to limb. And how Attila was fascinated by magicians and sorcerers. And then the former guards, they give their goodbyes to Larry, but Reginald stays behind and imprints Larry's key. And this leads to later on, they break into Larry's apartment, remember? And plant stolen va- valuable boards. Oh, right. And they are to frame him for purloining the tablet. Mm-hmm. And I feel like imprinting a, imprinting a key, I feel like that's the... That that feels uh kind of dated. Would you, would you say like that's something that feels like it would happen more in the early in in the early on? But I feel like nowadays, like inferencing a key is that really something you could do to still like break into break I into know, someplace? Maybe I think so. I mean, you can, you can make an impression of it, sure, and then make a mold or something. I just feel like it's kind of archaic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I, mean, I just sure feel you like you can still get it done because you can just and then you can make a 
uh, uh, impression and then fill it with like something harder that you know metal or something that can make a key right but when people these days like have defenses against that like you know with cameras like what do you really need that need to do that like, when you make it a little harder for someone to break in than just you know imprinting a key mm-hmm. i don't know um I just feel like these yes. days, like, you would have to work a little harder. I feel like imprinting a key is too easy. Mm-hmm. Anyways. You know. And then, yeah, Larry's going off to the museum, and he kicks off the night by removing a rib bone from Rexy and tying it to an RC jeep, and just having, and then setting it to always speed around and keep Rexy occupied. He goes on, give, he gives his lighter to the Neanderthals, so they can, you know, Starts a fire, he gives gum to the, to the Moai, and then he locks up the Mayans, and, the, and he, remember using, using that box, that kind of like, that, what was it, like a boxing shield or something like that? Mm-hmm. To, to protect himself from, dot, from the dots, and, and then he's dealing with, remember the Wild West and the Romans trying to invade each other's territory, remember? The Romans are using a battering ram. And right, yeah, that was funny. the Wild West, uh-huh. they're using the bo- they're trying to use the bombs. Right. And then, and then Larry just has to pluck up Octavius and Jedediah, and mm-hmm. he's trying to, you know, confront them, like, you know, just trying to get them to, you know, to buddy up. And, you know, make an effort at burying the hatchet. And I, I, I like, I like, I, again, I feel like this is also a part when I, when I, when I, I, I really do wonder, like, how did the, how did the dialogue work here? Because the way it works in the scene feels like it's improv. Like even when when Larry is like, oh, when Larry isn't liking it, when when Jazz calls him Gigantor, or then he also calls out Octavius for being a kiss ass. Dialogue like like this in in the scene feels like it should be ad libbed, but obviously like it wasn't ad libbed because uh, Ben Stiller isn't even in, in the same room as Steve Coogan and Owen Wilson. So that's why I'm wondering, like, wait, did they add, maybe, did they, did they add this outside of the scene, like, separately? Or was this, or were these lines already in the script? And right. if, if, if it is, if, if all of these lines were in the script, then that's amazing, because it does give off mm-hmm. that, it, 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 it does give off that ad-libbing energy. And, yeah, I just like the way, I like the way that the, the lines are delivered in the scene. And and then Larry locks up the Horn of African Mammals and fools Dexter as a baby key, remember? Dexter steals the baby keys. Yeah, that was good. I, I like the other baby keys. I do, I do. I, 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 I like that. that. Yeah. You know, get baby keys. Larry's able to trick yeah, Dexter. And and then Larry catches Teddy uh, staring at Sanctuary again. And yeah, I don't know. Still find that kind of weird. And then Teddy tries to go up to her, but then he's unable to say hi. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we we get we get the, we get the little shot here of the of the old guys planning the the valuables at Larry's apartment, stolen valuables. Mm. And then we cut back to Larry dealing with Attila and and his Huns next. And it's, this is this is quick. I don't know if you noticed this, but. Did he, you notice when Attila, he's nibbling on the brochures, remember? Yeah. He's taking little b- bites of them. Mm-hmm. 
and then one of the other Hans is polishing his sword. Yeah. And then Larry. So now, so now, so because now Larry knows that you know they're, they're, they're amazed by magic. So now that's what Larry's trying to do. He's, he's trying to do the magic tricks mm-hmm. to get onto a good side. But they catch him faking it. Remember, remember, because he he doesn't he. He, he does the whole the trying to hide the, the, the that colored ribbon, remember? Right. But but they but they catch him but they catch him in the act, and then he proceeds to try to tear off his limbs, mm-hmm. and and I, and and I'm just like, wait, could you actually actually do that? Like, I just you know what like you know people just using their bare hand, their bare hands to rip off limbs. I don't know, like. Okay, so. Like the human body is everything about it. It's actually pretty fragile. Like I actually recently heard that you only need seven pounds of force to blow off your head. Like say if some if something just like even if you grab someone's ear and if you just pull really hard, you can do some damage. Wow. Like maybe even I don't know like something to the spine or to the ne- or to the neck. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just wondering like wait could you actually pull off someone's limbs with your bare hands, if you're like, if you're really strong and muscular. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Well, I don't know, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of gross, how you want to think about it, but, uh... <clears throat> um, I, I don't know. you could do it. I think it's possible. hmm Yeah, and then, but, so, so this is happening, but, th- but then the animals are rampaging out, and that's what stops these hunts from being able to pull off the, Larry's limbs. And then, as it turns out, the Heart of African Mammals was unlocked by Dexter, mm-hmm. who mysteriously pickpocketed Larry's keys. Mm. And so now I'm just like, wait, how did he, how did Dexter do that? Because, like, Larry had the keys, remember? Because Larry fooled him. Right. And then Dexter wasn't, like, Dexter wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't near him any other time. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think, I think the, I think that's supposed to be the whole, the, the whole trick of it, though. Is that like that's the whole mystery? Like, how did Dexter get the keys? So though, it's kind of a kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And then, and then and then we and then there's a, there's a bit where Larry mistakes Christopher Columbus for Cortez, specifically Hernando Cortez, the first of the Spanish conquistadors. And then we've got uh, we we've got Larry. He he's sh- he's chasing after Dexter because Dexter has keys. And we, and we pass by the westerns, the, the wild west people, and the and the Romans. They're all battling, and Larry try, Larry's frustrated because remember, uh, Jed and Octavius are, are you know back to fighting, and and it's and it's funny when when Octavius is like, well, well no when when Jed is like now it's time to let Smith and Weston do the talking, and Octavius is like those guns don't even work, and. Shadow's like, oh, they don't here, and he and he bops Octavius on the on the head mm. with the guns. Yeah. And then meanwhile, Dexter is unlocking the window. Remember that? And oh, I'm, to make yeah. And I was just like, okay, like, I feel like the movie also does not does not spend time acknowledging that Dexter is partly responsible for the death of one of the Neanderthals. Yeah. Because if if you if Dexter hadn't. Uh, unlock the window and open it up. That wouldn't have left the opening for the for the fire extinguisher, foam covers, and the to jump out 
and end up getting turned into dust. Mm-hmm. Avengers Infinity War styles. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, but... And and then and, and then Larry has to deal with the caveman next because remember just one of them is on fire, so that's why he has to spray the fire extinguisher on them. And then one of them holds foam at Larry's face, and kind of a bit more of the slapstick humor. I feel like this is this is one of the more slapsticky gags that doesn't get as big of a laugh out of me as the, as Dexter slapping slapping Larry, and. And then, and then this leads up to, uh, just, uh, as I said before, the, ca- the caveman, the caveman who's covered in the foam, jumping out the window, because he's excited by the sight of homeless people with the fire and the trash can. And then meanwhile, Larry and Dexter, and, well, they're fighting over the key, and the keys, and then Dexter slaps Larry, remember? Remember Dexter was just slapping him repeatedly. Yeah, and it just funny. pushes Larry to just slap him, and then they just because slapping each other, slapping each other. Mm-hmm. Yup, yup. And 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 then and then te- and then remember Teddy is like, uh, Teddy is like, Good Lord, Larry, why are you slapping a monkey? Mm-hmm. And and and, and then Dex- Dexter just gives the keys to to Teddy so easily. No, no fuss, no muss. That Dexter just you knows all is all kind. Just gives the keys over. Gives keys over, uh, and the but and and so now Larry is wanting to quit in spite of Teddy's objections because T- Teddy's trying to convince him to stay. But then, but uh, but then the Neanderthal is blipped, and his dust is cleaned out by the street 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 sweeper. So Larry feels contrite, so he takes the keys back from Teddy's monument form, and he's like, "Okay, I'll I'll stay. I'll I'll try. I'll try this again because now you know I have this guilt hanging over me." And and I will say, like I I almost feel like the way the way that the the, the loss of the of the caveman is treated, it almost feels like it's because the cavemen are more just are. Like the movie sees him as being disposable mm-hmm. because he and I feel like he and his fellow caveman are non characters. And and the thing is, it's like no one even holds a funeral for the for the for the Neanderthal. It's like I feel like it's like all of the exhibits have been around for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. It's like and it, and no one feels no one's gonna hold a funeral for the caveman. No one feels sad. Not even his fellow Neanderthals. No, apparently not. Yeah, and. Yeah, it, it, that, that just feels kind of weird, the way, again, like, they feel kind of like non-characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like just, you know, comedic gags. And... Uh, oh, so, so, okay, so I'm, I'm just Googling about Atala of Han right now, and it, it's saying here that he was, he was, so he was actually, quote, one of the most fearsome enemies the Romans ever faced. Apparently it's the extort... He extorted the Roman Empire for every penny he could he could get, huh? Interesting. All right, so, all right, so, all right, back to the movie. Uh, oh, 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 okay. Also, so, in in the scene when Larry is realizing that one of the cavemen is outside, and he's running through the museum, so he actually watched Mission, Mission Impossible movies mm-hmm. for that scene. To, to watch his, his longtime friend Tom Cruise run 
and then mimic him in order to be able to run to the museum. Isn't that funny? It was funny. And it's funny because when you're watching that scene, like, he, he's actually running like Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. It's just this surprisingly brisk run right to the museum. The old Tom Cruise run. Mm-hmm. And then the next, the next morning, uh, Dr. Mc, Dr. McPhee shoots out Larry for the for the mess up was a nanosol exhibit because of the all, all the fire extinguisher foam in front of Nikki and his friends. And okay, so here's the thing. So McPhee criticizes him for 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 the the, the fire and the, and the and the foam, but then he does he isn't like hey, where's Where's the where's the fourth Neanderthal? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's an entire part of the Neanderthal exhibit missing. Oh right, I know that they didn't realize, right? It's just like anyone like what? Yeah, no one points it out, and I'm just like even a visitor, even even someone who constantly visits the museum, wouldn't they notice? Wouldn't they be like, hey? Where is the fourth Neanderthal? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just feel like that's kind of a plot hole there. And yeah, uh. but and so so McPhee want, is gonna fire him, but then Larry convinces him to let him stay for just one more night. And he does. Uh, Ricky Gervais does that thing where he doesn't finish the sentence again. When he's like, "Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice." And then he just kind of trails off, and then Larry has to finish for him, remember? And and then Nick, Nick, Nikki is upset at Larry, so now so Larry promises to take him to the museum overnight. And then I, I like the, I like this next scene when when Rebecca when Rebecca is in the she's 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 sitting in front of the Sacagawea and Lewis and Clark exhibit. And, and then Larry goes in there, and I remember he's kind of like, oh, what are you doing? You're sitting around, yeah? And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I just like to, you know, take a break, you know, take some time to think. And then next, and then Larry's like, oh, okay. Seriously, though, you have to go. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, the, the, the way he's so, like, so, so, so direct about it. And yeah, I just find that kind of funny. And also, I don't know. Like watching this movie, I don't know. I just, I'm I'm shocked that the movie didn't try to push a romance between Larry and Rebecca. Oh, I know, right? I, 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 I I'm okay. I'm okay with them just being friend, just being friendly. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this movie could have gone in a, in a different direction where it tries to force a romance on them. And I'm glad it didn't go in that go 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 in that direction. And and then now we learned Rebecca wants to abandon her dissertation because she's struggling to gather enough research to give a fully comprehensive scope of Sacagawea of of her life. And then Larry tell and then Larry tells her about tablet and magic, and Rebecca ends up thinking that oh like you know you're you're just taunting me, making fun of the history geek. And uh, and th- and then. And, and and then uh, Larry tries to show Nick Nick the museum, and he's like he's preparing him, getting getting him all set up, and in, in front of Rexy, but then Rexy doesn't come, doesn't doesn't wake up, and the whole museum is still asleep. And as we, and as we find out, it's because the it's because the Cecil and Gus and Reginald have messed with the tablet, 
and a, and then they come in and they're trying to get the tablet back, but Le- but Nick but Larry on uh on uh Larry's instructions turns the centerpiece of tablet remember mm-hmm. before they activate it and then that and then that wakes up the museum. Okay, but then we. So another 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 law that we have to take into account about tablet. We learn that Cecil, Reginald, and Gus, that they're all, uh, rejuvenated by the tablet. They end up they they end up absorbing the tablet's energy, and it makes them feel useful, which is why in, in the fight in the fight with Larry, they're able to beat him up. You know they have the you know the useful physical energy. So now it makes you wonder, okay, so why doesn't Larry feel the same way? Is it just because maybe, is Larry at a point in his life where physically, his body, like, there's not much of a difference between the energy that the tablet gives him, and then his own body. Hmm. Whereas for Cecil, you know, Gus and Reginald, they feel it more because their bodies are elderly. So they feel, so they'd be able to feel the energy much more. I don't know, it's just, but, but okay, but, but then... The rule never comes up. This rule never comes up in the future. Like again, like a tablet that make a tablet that makes you re, that feel, makes you feel reinvigorated. It it pumps up your physical energy to tip top levels. Why doesn't this ever come up in the future? Why doesn't Larry ever like know, knowing this rule? Why doesn't he ever? Why isn't there ever a point where he purposely uses it to his advantage? You know what I mean? Right. I know that's weird. Yeah, I just. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, I, it, it, it's such an interesting rule, too. Like, I feel like you, you could do stuff with, with this mechanic of a tablet, you know, just plot-wise, just make the plot a more interesting. But, yeah, and as a, that's something I, that's something I, uh, I, I, it bothers me about the, about the Night and Museum, Night and Museum uh, trilogy as a whole, is that it'll, it, it'll bring up these mechanics, but then it just forgets about them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't know. Just I, 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 and I just wish the, uh, the, the trilogy as a whole could be um, more, more tight than that. Mm-hmm. And oh, and then uh, Gus and the scene calls Larry hot dog and cupcake. And 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 the, the and, and the scene when Gus jumps down on Larry. A stunt double definitely left down in place of Mickey Rooney. What was like the camera showing him from his back. And Mickey Rooney definitely did not make that huge jump. Mm-hmm. It, had, like, it had to be a stunt double. Yeah. And, oh, and then, ha, I think, I think, ha, hot shot in, 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 a, in a scene that's coming up, uh, Gus also calls Larry hot shot. And then, yeah, because then, if you, and, because then the old guys, End up trapping Larry and Nikki in uh, an Ackman-Ross chamber, and then and then Teddy comes by and and uh, and, and, and I I kind of like the scene here when Larry's like you know I wasn't the president of the United States I wasn't uh, I didn't build the Panama Canal I'm not like you, and then Teddy is like actually Larry I'm not any of those things, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not Theodore Roosevelt, mm-hmm. you know, I was made in a mannequin factory in, in, in Poughkeepsie. 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 
Poughkeepsie. No, wait. Now you got me mixed up. Poughkeepsie. 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 And, yeah, so, and he was like, yeah, I was made of an American factory in Poughkeepsie. 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 Like, Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. Right. And basically, Teddy is like, you know, you need you need to be the hero of your story. You, you need to take responsibility. And, and you know, and, and I said all moments. And okay, but then Teddy, but then Teddy just rides off on his horse, and he just leaves Larry and like he trapped in the chamber. And even Larry is like, "That's it." And Teddy calls back, "That's it." <laughs> and then the and then and then the the jackal guards. Remember, they try to spear Larry and Nikki, and they and they barely get by them, and they open up Agamemnon's sarcophagus, and he commands the guards to stop. To stop. And then, and then obviously we have a moment where he seems scary. He seems all horrifying, but then he unwraps his bandages, and just reveals himself to be good old uh, Rami Malek, and this was his film debut. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, ago. I don't know. It's. It's still funny, like, watching him in the movie. It's just like, oh, this was, like, your debut role, and now, like, you're, you're a huge star now. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, it's, it's nice to see. And, yeah, it's, it's funny to see him in this role. Also, like, again, like, also, I am glad he's in this role, because it's just, it's just nice to have, like, you know, like, it, 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 it's finally, like, some ethnically appropriate casting, speci- speci- specifically for an Egyptian character. Because, unfortunately, you have a lot of cases where you have like white people playing Egyptian characters, like Arnold Roslu, who played Imhotep and the Mummy. He's white, yeah. but the character is Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Or Ben Kingsley, he played Akron Ra's father. Again, a, a white British guy playing a role that should be played by someone who is ethnically appropriate. You know, but uh, you know, it, it bugs me. Yes, and okay. I, and then this is another scene that I think works well, uh, comedic, com- comedic wise. I think you can also feel the improv working in the scene, because then remember when, when remember when Larry is introducing himself and, and Nick, and mm-hmm. he's like, "I'm Larry, son of Milton, and this is my son Nicky, and we hail from Brooklyn." And he's like, "Well, I do. I mean, he comes out and stays with me on Wednesdays and every other weekend. That was the custody agreement that mm-hmm. we had." Remember that? Yeah. I, I, and I feel like the ad living, what it, it's effective in in that scene, and oh yeah, and I remember Akram Ra? He ca- he coughs out the dust, and he's like, "You would not believe how stuffy it gets in there." And again, I'm just like, really, you're concerned about the stuffiness, mm-hmm. not about being confined in a tight space and a tight claustrophobic space for again, I'm gonna say a, a couple thousand years. It's just like, uh, uh. and then, but and then, so now they need to get a tablet back, and Akinra he's like asking for it, so we can assume command of his kingdom, but they don't have a tablet. So then, so Zachor bursts open the gate, and Larry bows them and kind of makes up. He bows them and was make was made up signs, and you know to thank them, and then they come back back out into the museum. And everyone is, and everyone is fi- is fighting, and but but then but then uh, the Momai, he's, he's right in head, 
just yells out, quiet, mm-hmm. sad and small. And then he, he's like, my dum-dum wants to speak. And, okay, I, like, I, I know, you didn't like that before. Okay, so, I don't... I don't like the general the general gag about him calling Dum Dum about him about the Moai calling Larry Dum Dum, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's a specific line like why Dum Dum wants to speak. I don't know like something about that gets gets a laugh out of me. I don't I don't know why, but it's it's inexplicable in this instance. And then, I, oh, uh, uh, I'm sorry. We, I think we we actually. We 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 skipped the whole we skipped the whole uh, confrontation between Larry and Attila, and Attila remember? Mm-hmm. Remember when they're kind of like yelling when they're yelling at each other, and okay. But by the way, so the 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 Han language in this movie is uh, gibberish. By the way, when Atta, when Attila and the Hans are speaking, they're they're just speaking gibberish. Hmm. How do you know that? Uh, trivia, IMDb trivia. Uh. Which is kind of like, eh. I mean. It, it, that's another thing that bugs me. Is like when you when when people are speaking like foreign languages and it's just actually like gibberish. It's not it's not actually speaking a real language. Yeah. And then I and then I I, I actually like this bit when when Larry is kind of like talking down to Tella and he's just like your your father ripped your heart out at when he was off pillaging other 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 lands other, other villages. And then Attila ends up just breaking down, mm-hmm. and they end up hugging, and then and then Larry is remember, uh, Larry is singing to him. Remember, right? <laughs> and then and then one of the other Huns looks like he's about to cry, and then Larry points at him and mouths, "You are next." Mm-hmm. <gasps> that, that that's pretty funny. And and then oh yeah and. Oh, so he sing- so, so Larry was singing to the tune of Hush Little Baby. That's what he was singing, yes. And then and then finally like, you know, Larry and Attila are friends now and they're pushing you know, giving each other little pushes, little shoves. And then and then after the East Island head quiets everyone, Larry gives pretty much like it, it's funny like Larry just gives like a, a paint by numbers motivational speech to all the exhibits. And it's just, it's kind of daunting because it's like you have all these all of these different exhibits, for like all different periods, like you know historical periods and eras, and it's just kind of like you'd have to give a speech that connects to everyone on some level, which is you know kind of funny to think about that. And I also like the the bit when he tells the Civil War soldiers to put an end to the conflict. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And I have, I have a quote here. He says. North winds. Slavery's bad. Sorry. Don't want to burst your bubble, but South, you guys got you guys get almond brothers and NASCAR, so just chill. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> funny. Yes. And then finally, and then finally, everyone, everyone, it, everyone is up for you know banding together to retrieve the tablet. And he's and then I I I love when he's like, let's do this, people and animals and. We are faceless public creatures. Mm-hmm. In reference to the Civil War guys, remember? Right. And then, and then, oh, so now, so now, we we got the exhibits. We because remember, uh, Cecil, Reginald, and Gus are trying to steal some valuables from the museum, but the exhibits end up capturing Gus and Reginald. Uh. Okay. Also, when when Reginald is caught by Christopher Columbus. 
and uh, the caveman. Oh, by the way, also, during the motivational speech scene, Larry finally re re realizes, because remember, Nikki tells them it's Christopher Columbus. Mm -hmm. That's when he realizes the monument is, 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 is Columbus. Uh, when Reginald gets caught by Christopher Columbus and uh, the Neanderthals, and he's just like, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. And then it's just like, and then it's just like, do you really think you can put up a fight against Columbus? He pulls out a sword, and then the Neanderthals have, if I recall correctly, like, what, like bones or clubs or torches, something like that. They have some sort of objects to use. And it's just like, Reginald, do you really think you can put up a fight and go the hard way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, uh, oh, and then, so, so Cecil, when he, so remember when he opens up the aqua marine exhibit mm -hmm. and the whale blows him backwards? Yes. That's actually supposed to be a callback because there's a deleted scene where Larry, he does the same thing. He opens up the doors and then the whale blows him back. Mm -hmm. However, that scene is cut out. Mm, I wonder why. Yeah, I do want, yeah, I wonder why because I feel like that was, it, like the scene itself is, it's, it's really short. So I do wonder like why it was cut out because if you cut that out, then it, it makes, it 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 makes it, it it ends up just leaving this just scene with Cecil when he gets blown back by the whale. It just leaves it. It just leaves it stranded. You know, it it, it doesn't it it doesn't provide the, the, the payoff for the for the for, for the joke. And yeah, so and then oh and then we we've got Jed, Octavius, and their companions are uh, sticking the spear and the van tire and letting out the air. And I, lo I love this, when the camera cuts back and forth between the close-up of all of like, the, the miniatures, you know, screaming as the air is blowing past them, is whipping past them, and then the camera cuts to the wide shot, and then we hear nothing, remember? Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you think of this gag? Uh, I think it's funny, it's, it's, um... Because they, they, they even have it in the sequels, remember? Like, even when Octavius in the Battle, Battle of the Smithsonian, he's running towards the White House, a... and he's like, ah, and, and he's running through the grass. Anything. Yeah, no, I know, you can't hear anything. I was, I, I was just gonna refer to that, yeah. Yeah, I think it's one... Was he, yeah, that, that wasn't the third one. No, no, the second one, Battle of the Smithsonian, actually. Oh, right, was he riding the squirrel? No, he rides a squirrel after that. Okay. But he's running. He's trying to get help from the White funny, House. Yeah, and you can't. And you can't hear anything. I think. I don't know. I, yeah, I find that really funny. I yeah, I think it's one of the most clever gags, and yeah. uh, like in, in series in general, mm -hmm. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. And then, I, I, and then when it's just Jed and Octavius left holding the spear, Octavius is like, "Save yourself!" And Jed is like, "I ain't quitting you." Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, but I did not realize until this point that it's it's a it's a Brokeback Mountain reference. Oh really? When, when remember when when Jack when Jack Twist is like, what, what was it? I, I wish I could, I wish I could quit you. Yeah. I think that's what. It meant. Oh right. It meant, right. The thing is, when 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 Jack was like, I ain't quitting you. That's when I saw it. I was like, wait, is this Brokeback Mountain? Mm -hmm. And then I actually looked up the IMDb trivia, and it was actually a trivia fact saying that that is meant to be a reference. To Brokeback Mountain, mm -hmm. and Jed is like a cowboy. <gasps> Granted, I, yeah, but I, I again, I, I, I do wonder if the like the trilogy could have headed in a different direction, and definitely Jed and Octavius, it could have been romantic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, could have headed, headed in that direction, but yeah, I find that to be hilarious. Brokeback Mountain, that is a uh, heartbreaking, you know. 
I read I, I read the, the, the short story some time ago that the movie is based on, and that is uh, pretty hard wrenching. <laughs> no, it's you know it's good. Well, you know well, well, well written, compelling. Mm-hmm. You know, although it is it it also does contra- contribute to the you know trauma porn, for you know queer rap. <sighs> and oh yeah, and then oh so apparently there, there was a cowboy. Uh, and a blue shirt for the scene. So apparently he was a stuntman. When he, so apparently when he was snapped back, because remember there were many shirts that, that get blown off of the spear? Mm-hmm. This stuntman, when he was pulled back, he actually snapped a, ver- a vertebrae in his neck. Oh my god. He survived. It was a small injury in the end, but mm-hmm. still worrisome. And it's like, it reminds you that, ha- yeah, yeah, stunt people, it is a, it's not occupational hazard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then Cecil, he drives off in the van, so Larry has to break out, break out Sacagawea so she can track him down. Okay, also, he just shatters the glass, and no one points that out. Right. Yeah. Again, just another little detail to brush off. And I, I like when, I like when, uh, when Larry, when Sacagawea is tracking the van, and, and, and she's like, but he lost control and crashed, and then Larry's like, that's amazing, how do you know that? And then she just points at the van, that's crashed off in the distance, mm-hmm. and, and then, and then, and then Cecil flees on the stagecoach, almost runs her over, but Teddy pushes her out of the way, and his legs get cut off at the waist in the process, and then he's like, Larry, relax, I'm wax. Right, oh, that's right, yeah. 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 And okay, I gotta say, Sacagawea, she does not get a huge role in any of the movies. Like, if you know, even the dialogue, she gets very little dialogue in the movies. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, why? Why do you have to minimize her role like this? Light of Medium trilogy. Yeah, I know. I, I, again, like I said before, I think this history of this, uh, the history that the movies present is pretty much is, is majority white, and. I do, I do wish there could have been a different take on the movies where they put more of a focus on people of color. You know what I mean? Just rather than ignoring them mm-hmm. for the most part. And then, so the gang goes after Cecil. And we have like Larry on Teddy's horse, Nick and Ackman on Rexy, Octavius and Jed in their own little RC jeep. And then we have a little moment where Jed and Octavius so the jeep loses control when Rexy tries to intercept the stagecoach and the jeep flips over a snow hill and has a, 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 you know, the little explosion sound popping up. But of course, it's not like, of course they're not actually dead. The movie's not going to kill off Owen Wilson and Steve Coogan. So, I don't, I don't, like, also, like, why doesn't, why, why doesn't Larry check on the, on, on, on the jeep? I mean, even on the way back, why why does why doesn't he like, hey, maybe I should check on them, see if they're still alive. He never checks on them. Never checks on the Jeep. They have to make their way back to the museum. Right. And then and then Larry uses the password Dakota to stop the to stop the stagecoach. Because he, you know, and he was able to study up on his history. And Cecil just just flies forward and I'm just like Okay, you shouldn't have survived that fall. Mm-hmm. Remember, just fall, just flies forward. 
Although, maybe he was rejuvenated. Maybe his health was the, you know, the energy of the tablet. Maybe that made his body more, uh, more durable. And Larry's like, Larry mimics his moving on phase. And it's kind of funny when Larry is giving Atella permission to do a little limb tearing, remember? Yeah. And, okay, so here's the thing. So, so Gen C sort of like, he doesn't know what the Makikaka phase means. And it, and I'm just like, wait. So are you not familiar at all with the limb tearing that Attila and the Hunter into? See, that's the thing. Where it's like, that's that's another moment where I'm like, wait. It doesn't feel like you're familiar at all with the exhibits. Right. That's weird. Yeah. And then and, and then Sakuraya, we go back to her because she's melting uh, Teddy's body parts back together, and then. Akramnad uses the tablet or the exhibits to return to the museum. And then Rebecca's in a taxi when the exhibits pass by on the road. And now, and, and then the, the cab driver, he's griping about A-Rod at first. And then he's like, now who's they going to get to clean all that doo-doo? Mm-hmm. And also, I'm just like, so yeah, so how many people saw like the T-Rexy? And all of like, the animals and the people passing through on their way to the night museum. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm assuming a lot, right? Yeah, because they're pretty noticeable, right? And granted, this is 2006, so maybe, so like like social media wasn't really a thing back then. Mm-hmm. But if that happened now, you'd obviously be seeing so many videos and pictures on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Yep. And then, and and then now like all you have is returning to the museum. And remember when the moose can't enter to the front entrance because yeah, the entrance are too wide, too big, yeah. and and Larry's telling them to go, telling the moose to go, moose and his friends to go back around to the docking entrance. Mm-hmm. Rebecca and Sakuraya they finally meet, and 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 then see this time they this time Rebecca and Sakuraya correct Larry because he says Sakuraya, but then they say it's Waya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dexter's and also when Larry and Teddy are tying up everyone, Dexter squeezes in one more snap, but Teddy tells Larry to be the mature one and not slap him back. And then Dexter just kind of sticks, sticks his tongue out mm-hmm. at Larry. Jedediah and Octavius they return alive and grimy, and then and and then finally. So the night is ending, and Larry's like, oh, I'm not sure I can stay in this job. So he and, you know, Teddy are having the, you know, final goodbyes. And and then Teddy scares Larry, like, once again, I think, for the third time, if I recall correctly. Kind of like, you know, giving him a little boo. And then, and then, you know, I, I, I like the little moment when Larry says thanks to, to Teddy after the sun rises. And... I don't know. It makes me think. Remember, even in the uh, the the third movie, The Secret of the Tomb. Remember that's the whole thing because remember Teddy scares them, and 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 that's when the tablet is gone. Remember, mm-hmm. so so Teddy and Teddy scares Larry for the final time, and you know that's a it, it, it's a poignant it's a poignant moment. I remember. See, uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like I have to watch the third movie again because now I'm thinking back on it and I feel kind of conflicted since the tablet. Is gone. Remember? Mm-hmm. Also, no wait. It's unrealistic. Remember, we, we pointed it out. 
literally can't just hand a tablet over to the British Museum. It has to stay at the at the Museum of Natural History. Mm-hmm. It's unrealistic for them to hand off a tablet. Ah. And then for, and then for Ogden Yeah. Plot holes are bound into the series in this series, unfortunately. Uh yeah. So so, so now we have uh McPhee showing Larry on sort of the news reports. And we've got like the T Rex tracks in the snow leading to the museum, the cave drawings in the subway. And in real life, those cave drawings are actually part of tiled art in the subway. Mm-hmm. In real life. And we've also got the footage of the Neanderthals brandishing the lovely fire on the rooftop of the museum. So okay, so so here's the thing. When no, no, notice I no, notice how McPhee uh, never really acts that surprised in, in this scene. In fact, he's actually quite quiet, quite passive when he's showing the footage. He's not really like astonished as to all of this weird stuff happening with the museum. And then even earlier, when Jedediah had uh, Octavius in the stockade, again he wasn't really he wasn't mad. It it, it didn't seem like he was mad at Larry for tampering with the exhibits. It just seemed like he was more mad at Larry for, like, for for not keeping an eye over the exhibits. So there's that. So the thing is, there's actually there there was a fan theory that McPhee actually knew about the magic of the of the of the tablet, and that he that he was aware of it, and that's why he was getting mad at Larry because Larry wasn't doing a good job of of guarding the exhibits. However. That theory ended up uh, being pretty much eliminated once you find out in the third movie that uh, th- that he never knew about the magic at all. Remember, Larry had to tell him about that. And oh, all right. So, so, so mom has to go for a bit now, but I think she'll be back for in time for Good World. And and so it's so, just so me now. So okay. So yeah. So Doc McPhee, he's about to fire Larry, but then the strongs of people are attending, and. Uh, McPhee just wordlessly hands a flashlight and keys back to Larry, and a nice little like subtle screenwriting moment. I, I like the Earth because you know I, I just like, always appreciate it when the movie when when the story is able to is able to convey info, just you know without dialogue, just ha- just having just you know showing, not telling. That's always an, an important rule you want, and you want you, you want to have in your you know in, in your movies or books, just any any story just. Any stories you're telling, show not told. And even Rebecca is pleasantly surprised, you know, by all of the visitors. Although it's kind of weird because I feel like, well, it's, it's, it's Museum of Natural History. I just I, I, I don't really find it plausible that uh, that it w- that it would be empty so much of the time. I feel like you know there would be a lot of people just you know going going there and wanting wanting to wanting to learn about history. And and then, and then we have Larry going to uh, Nikki's school to make up for missing career day, and then we got the, the we have, we've got the final scene with a museum party accompanied by September by Earth, Wind, and Fire, and we got we we got everyone just partying: Attila and Columbus playing soccer, Teddy and Sakurawea riding his horse, one of the Neanderthals is shooting the fire extinguisher foam. In his mouth, and we, we got uh, Nick, you know, Nikki riding around on riding around on on Rexy, 
and Zed and Octavius and you know, on CG and then finally uh, Larry Larry snaps his flashlight off and that's a nice callback because you know uh, obviously that's this whole thing about you know the, the, the snapper and so I like that little nod to, en to end the movie on and then that is Night at the Museum although there is a bit more because then we have a mid credit scene showing Cecil, Gus, and Reginald working as janitors, and and Gus calls Cecil a hot dog, and I will I will say, and, and, and so I do like to see you know, see them you know dance for a bit, and even Dick Van Dyke like you know he shows you know he still got the moves, but so so now so now the janitors at the museum, but why? If if the museum is willing to take them back as janitors, then why didn't they just remain in the original positions as night guards? Because the whole point of firing them was to save money, but now you're just hiring them back, and you're gonna, and you're just gonna, you you just have to pay them all over again, and so that just doesn't really make really make sense. Also, I'm curious as to whether Attila and the Huns like how much of the you know, the, 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 the limb tearing they went through with Cecil. Like, obviously, they didn't tear off his limbs, but I'm just, you know, I, I'm just wondering how much, how, how much they were, they ended up torturing him, you know? I, I feel like, you know, he deserves, you know, just a little bit of it, just a little bit. And, yeah, so that, that, that is that is Museum. And, you know, again, again, like, you know, like I said, for a movie that I overall enjoy, even though, again, it does have, you know, it, it, it has its flaws, you know, some gags that I don't particularly appreciate. But this is a movie that I definitely enjoyed uh, revisiting, especially since I haven't I haven't sat down to watch this, you know, in a long in a long time. So yeah, so that, yeah, that's a medium. And now let's move on to Good Word, the segment in which I can recommend anything I want: books, movies, uh, TV shows, podcasts, anything. And oh, okay, so mom, now you now you're back, so. Just in time for good words. So, what do you want to recommend? Um, I I'm just actually excited to watch um, Cobra Kai on Netflix season mm -hmm. four. Is season it? four. On Netflix. And I heard yeah. they also filmed season five back to back with season four. So that's really exciting. There's going to be yeah. five. And who would have thought that? You know, back then Johnny Lawrence and uh, Daniel LaRusso Daniel LaRusso would be working together against Chris. I know. I just I just I'm really, I really excited. I, I, I to watch it. When does it come out? January thirty first. No, December. No, December, yeah, so next week. Oh my and gosh. And they have a bunch of... Um... I really do appreciate the way that the show has developed their relationship. It's surprisingly Oh yeah, it's, it's great. And I liked it when, like, last season when Elizabeth Shue came back and... I know, that was They fun. kind of were able to resolve certain things. I know, like, Johnny... And it's funny because you can see how Johnny was jealous of Danny. Are you kind of like... I don't know. It was just, uh, like, he saw him and in, in, in Elizabeth talking and... Um, what was her name on the movie? I forget. Uh, Allie. Allie. He saw uh, Danny and Allie talking at the country club, and I think it brought back the memories. Oh, of, old memories, um, old feelings, kind of yeah, the, the old was, bitterness. Yeah, and then, but I'm glad that they were kind of able to resolve it, and I kind of wish that there was going to be a romance with. Uh, well, but he only had a romance with Miguel's mom. No, I know, I know, but it would have been nice just to have that kind of um, nostalgic romance and have, because. You know, he. I feel like obviously like, he really did care for Allie, and then the whole thing about how Danny was the jerk. He was the one that came in and was trying to like move in on his girlfriend, and you know that that fan theory. And 
which no, is so, funny. So, so I will say it's not like Johnny wasn't wasn't a jerk. Like he did some. He, he was. He wasn't, but you know, Danny did like he did put the water into the bathroom stall. I mean, he did also I, instigate. They were def- certain things. They like they both. It's not like they were both completely kind people yeah. and nice people. Like they they were both you know assholes in their own way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really excited for, uh, and, and I think Johnny is just so funny. Like he has his great one-liners where he's just I know, really... William Zavka, I think... <clears throat> he does a great job. Like, he, he, he's both really comedic, but I also mm-hmm. think William Zavka is also good at being serious. He, like, he, he, like, he, he brings heart to the character. He makes yeah. him feel grounded and serious. Yeah. And I think his, his performance is surprisingly, uh, subtle. I feel like William Zavka has a lot of range. Yeah, he does, and... Yeah, I just think I just love his like when he's like kind of tough with the kids, but then he's also kind of you know he cares about them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really love it. So that's me. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Yes. All right, that's a good choice, Mom. Cobra Kai, and my good word is going to be uh, Ted Lasso, and. Yeah, hey, you love that show. I know. Yeah, it's on Apple TV Plus, and it just like for the longest time, you know, I've been wanting to watch it, and just finally, you know, I've been able to finish season two. And now I'm just sitting here waiting for season three, and yeah, you know, I just love the, the wholehearted optimism of the show, and it's it's it, it, it's it's hilarious, and you know, Jason Sudeikis, you know, I I love him as Ted Lasso, and I I love like I I love even like the, the, the side characters, I love I love like you know, I love uh Rebecca. And Keely and Roy and Nate and Coach Beard and just you know all of the side characters mm-hmm. and just you know I won't get I won't get I won't get into spoilers but even in season two like I really enjoy season two not as much as season one I feel like season one is just top notch but I feel like season two is also pretty high up there and just the, just the way it explored uh, the plots and was able to flesh out some of the smaller characters right and. Just, you know, even the way that it navigated the character arc of one character in particular, I won't say who it is, but this particular character just made me feel so, like, such comp- I had such complicated feelings towards this character, because I was like, oh, I hate you because you're acting so petulant right now, but I can also sympathize with why you're acting so petulant. And I'm really intrigued to see where they're heading with this specific character in Season 3, and... I and I also definitely think like the actor like again can't I won't say who it is but I feel like the actor who plays this character could uh, be up for an Emmy just because of the uh, of the performance they gave and just the the, the 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 multiple layers they were able to weave into the performance. So, so yeah, so that that is my recommendation. That's my good word. Ted Lasso definitely watch it if you got if you have Apple TV Plus, and even if you don't have Apple TV Plus. Just try out the, the free subscription. Ted Lasso is definitely worth it. Definitely something that will brighten your day. Alright, so, yeah, so now it's a good word. And now the social media plugs. Mom, do you have anything you want to plug on social media? No, thanks. Alright, and as for me, you can find this podcast on Twitter at 2 underscore sense critic. And then you can also follow my personal Twitter account at Arthur underscore ant18. You can go on my blog at twocentscritic.com. You can reach me at email twocentscritic at yahoo.com. You can also find me on my Goodreads profile. It's just Arthur Howell, which I opened up recently. You can check that out, too. And so, yeah. So, Mom, you have any any final words to say? No. Um, Merry Christmas. 
Yes. And, Merry Christmas, uh, everyone. That's it. Thanks for having me on the show, Arthur. Yes. Sorry it was kind of delayed. You know, life is uh, life. It, well, it you happens. You're, you've been great. Thanks for having me on three times yeah. in a row. Yeah. And um, obviously, this is the penultimate episode of 2021. Next week, it's final episode. Yep. And, uh, yeah. I think yeah. you've done a great job with these podcasts. <laughs> really proud of you. Thank you, Mom. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sorry. I'm, hopefully, you'll have me on the show again. I don't know. Because. <laughs> I know I. The schedule is a little rough. I'll admit, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a busy well, off person. The, off the cuff episodes, you know. Off the cuffs, like for those little short half hour stints, I think probably work better with my schedule. But um, if you need me, I'm here. And uh, yeah, good luck, everybody. Stay safe. Happy New Year. Ditto. Yes. 2022. Oh. Here's the Omicron. Uh, I know it's like Omicron. Like, why does the virus have to keep mutating? I know. Let's go. Uh, all right. <laughs> all right. And until next time, stay healthy and stay strong.